and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast. I am your host, Neve, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Connor. Hello. Uh, and I'm also joined by... Joined. I said that joined. weird. Joined. Joined. <laughs> I'm also joined by a special guest and person who's in the closet with me right now. <laughs> Autumn. I love uh, Ezra Furman albums. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, today we're going to talk about Magic Night in the Earth, uh, episodes 21 through 30. I'm the and... host of this podcast, Connor. I think you've and... been usurped. <laughs> I think you've uh, been a coup. At, yeah, it, I mean, as you can see, we're all really excited about uh, talking about these episodes. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about how much we like season two of Ray Earth, Um how interesting it is uh the kind of uh evolution of the series and now we finally uh get to get around to it um so i'll throw it back to neve for our first synopsis or potentially any introductory comments that you might want to make i mean i have another list here of origins of characters names oh yeah do you need me to send this to you connor um yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, doo, doo, doo. I was going to send it in off topic. So, season two, new season, new characters. I'm going to run through. There There are a couple of characters that we haven't met yet, but we've met most of them. Um, the other note here is in episode one, we see like Hikaru's siblings and they have names. And we also see Fu's sister. They were given enough character design that I thought maybe that we were going to, like, a portion of the season was going to be about the girls' families, and they're not. (laughs) Yeah, they're, like, in that first episode, and they're not in any of these other episodes. Yeah. Um, And the the thing is, too, like, I wasn't able to find good, like, this is what the the Japanese characters for these names are. My guess is that Fu's sister's name, it seems like it's probably, like, Sky, like, it's another Mm -hmm. Wind Sky reference. Yeah. and then the the three names for Hikaru's brothers are like there are again I don't know what the actual characters are but there are characters that you could do that would be like enlightenment or like other things that are kind of tying into the, like this like bright mm-hmm. fire joke of um or like pun of Hikaru's name but I couldn't like find firm like this is the actual kanji used to write their names and so like this would be the actual Mm-hmm. whatever the name means so i didn't include it here um but i mean really we're here for the car names so i'm just gonna start running through so for Sephira, we have lantis which is a mazda lantis mm-hmm. also knows known as a mazda 323f a mazda astina a mazda allegro hatchback or a mazda artist hatchback okay. there's a lot of fucking names for lantis um <laughs> i found the coolest possible image i could um if you look at the car from the front, it actually does not look this cool. Um, yeah, Asina could that also you... be a character in this show. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, I could even see Allegro and Artis. Yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. Yeah, Allegro is like so the one that's like a little bit, but I could still see it. Um, I'm disappointed that you ended up using this photo instead of the one that I suggested. <laughs> I I can add that photo in Connor and then the people who are looking at because I'm going to put these in the like episode uh, notes can see the photo that you suggested as well. 
It's a dumb photo. Yeah, it really is. I think it's the one that's <laughs> oh. from like Wikipedia. Um, I just wow, that's that's so harsh. I just thought it was so much more fitting. Uh, well, no, it's sure fitting because it's dumb. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, then I agree. Yeah. Then you're one hundred percent right. Um. Next up, there's Primera, who is named after the Nissan Primera, also known mm-hmm. as the Infinity G20. Mm-hmm. Um. Then Mira, who is a oh, little this girl. Is great. Um, this is great. Yeah, Mira is a fucking great vehicle. Yeah. Uh, so the little girl that uh, Hikaru saved in ep- uh, season one is like episode four, I think, um, that never got a name then does get named here. She like shows up briefly in this. I think she might show up in some later episodes as well. Um, mm-hmm. But so Mira is named after the Daihatsu Mira, also known as the Daihatsu Kuar, Daihatsu Charade, Daihatsu Domino, or Daihatsu Handyvan. Mm-hmm. So Kuar in particular feels like it could be another yeah, another yeah, name. For sure, for sure, for sure. Um Moving on to Autozam. So the nation of Autozam, or like the country or whatever they call them. Wait. Autozam? Autozam. Autozam? Auto Autozam. I I'm just I'm uh yeah. dub poisoned, I guess. I hadn't thought about it. Um Autozam. It's, so this is just a Japanese mark for Mazda. For this one, I did include a car. So this is like, I think often considered the iconic car for mm-hmm. Autozam. But, um, I think Clef is named after a car that they made as well. Oh. Or that's like under this mark. Um, mark being like a, an auto company will have multiple marks. So it just seems like there's like more variety than there actually is. Okay. <laughs> that's basically what this is. This is what a mark is. Um, so this one's got like the cool like butterfly wing doors. Um, I feel like I feel like it kind of matches like the aesthetic of the country. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's ultra sleek, modernized vehicle yeah. here with four <laughs> headlights. Yep. Um, <laughs> this vehicle would definitely have a headband with a single wire sticking out of it, going to who knows where. Um, <laughs> Which then, is uh, like Eagle apparently Vision. standard issue for all of yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Eagle Vision is named after the Eagle Vision, a.k.a. the Chrysler Vision. Uh, Geo Metro is, of course, named after the Geo Metro, a U.S. variant of the Suzuki Cultus that was joint produced by Suzuki and General Motors and associated with the Chevrolet mark in the U.S. That's a dorky looking car. It really is. Um, Zazu is named after Z-A-Z or Zaz, which um, I do not know how to pronounce Ukrainian. I'm not even going to try, but it's this automobile building plant. Uh, it's like a manufacturer of cars in the Ukraine. Um, the NSX, which is the battleship, is named after the Honda NSX, also called the Acura, uh, Acura NSX. Um, FTO is named after the Mitsubishi FTO. GTO is named after the Mitsubishi GTO, also called Mitsubishi 300 GT or Dodge Stealth. I think this is a really cool car because I had a Sega game that was like GTO Grand Tour or something. There was a car, there was a Sega racing game for the original Xbox that heavily featured the Mitsubishi GTO. It was like <laughs> on the cover. And so in my head, Mitsubishi GTO is like a canonically cool car in the same way that like a Corvette is, but that's not true. <laughs> um, it is still a pretty decent looking car. Yeah. It's- um, Moving on to Farin. So Farin is the German verb for to drive. Mm-hmm. And like that, I just know. I've seen people say that it is also based on the Honda Ascot Farlin. 
if you like Google search Honda Ascot Farland, like in quotation marks, all you find are sites talking about Magic Knight Ray Earth saying that Farland is named after this car. I cannot find any information about this fucking Have car. Have we been Wax House babied? Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, this could be a Wax House baby. So I don't think the Honda Ascot Farland exists. Unless, like, I'm just missing something. Like, if a listener can figure this out, let me know. Some listener, tell us what ep- what happens in Street Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> but for and- me, I think it's literally just the German verb. It's named after the German verb for to drive. I did have another theory, which is that it's foreign cars. <laughs> Lady Asuka is named after this Isuzu Asuka. Uh, Song Young is named after Song Young Motor Company, a South Korean automotive manufacturer. Chang An is named after Chang An <laughs> Automobile Company, which is a Chinese manufacturer. Interestingly, so Chang An is the na- like old name for the a capital of China, um, and the city that was Chang An is now Xi'an, which is where like my brother lived for a while. Chang'an Automobile Company is not at all located anywhere near Xi'an. They just <laughs> fucking named it this. I, <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, Dome or Domu is named after um, Domu Company Limited, which is a Japanese racing car constructor. Um, that's the the like dragon battleship oh, that yeah, they yeah, 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 they're in. Um, and then the things that she summons with her ink drawing don't have official names. There are like fan names for them. And so the dancing lion is usually just called the dancing lion. I will get to the other one when we get there, but it's the best mecha design ever. Um, I'm very excited. <laughs> for it. Um, Chizeda, we haven't really met yet. They've mentioned it, but it's named after Chizeda Maroder uh, V16T, also just known as the Chizeda V16T. I really love it's my that. my favorite Georgia Maroder album. <laughs> 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 we went for the same joke nice in a different jinx. way. <laughs> um, I specifically wanted to find a photo where you can see the four headlights that like flip out of the top because I feel like it's like really distinctive for this car. Um, Tata is named after Tata Motors, an Indian manufacturer, and then Tatra is named after Tatra, a Czech car manufacturer. Um, we'll meet them later. The and Bravada then Tesla is... is named after a South African <laughs> car manufacturer. Then Bravada is uh, named after the Oldsmobile Bravada. Um, the Raccoon. Uh, so this is probably named after the Honda Street G Raccoon. Mm-hmm. The what is now known as the Raccoon, that's probably better known, was a motorcycle, but it didn't come out until after ray earth so my Mm. guess is it was named after this bus (laughs) that's kind of neat i would drive Um, that rasheen is named after the nissan rasheen also like when you meet these characters and then you see it's like a bus and like a suv jeep thing i think that'll also like make sense with what's named these um i would not drive the nissan rasheen and then the other two here is the debonair uh which is named after the mitsubishi debonair this is a pretty cool car yeah i feel like I feel like this is a car that could show up in a um Oh, what's the what's the name of the director of the movie we watched? Um which one? Rebels in the Neon God. This could show up oh, in one of yeah. his movies. Um Timing Long. Yes, this yeah. could show up in one of his movies for sure. Um and then Nova is named after the Chevy Nova. Um yeah. and I just this is a cool car. It's um, a big muscle car. It's yeah. kind of weird that Nova is named after this, you know, <laughs> traditionally um, masculine car. But 
And then Nova's Rune God, the Regalia, is named after the Toyota Mark II Grand Regalia, which was like a special version mm-hmm. of the Toyota Mark II that I think only existed in Japan. Um, so I prefer the Gundam. Going Mark through II, these, personally. it's just it, it becomes so obvious that they didn't really like map the cars to the characters when they gave <laughs> the names. Because you like looking at the Chevy Nova and then looking at the Regalia, it's just like. Okay, yeah, the Chevy Nova is like this badass muscle car, and the New Regalia is just like a car, some, like it's a sedan. grandpa's fucking sedan. <laughs> but it's a Chevy Cobalt. <laughs> so, but it's it's a Toyota Mark II, and then this is like a special. Like I think it was only made for a year, mm-hmm. so there is something that's still special about it, even though it's just a. It's not a Chevy Nova, but it's like I would love to know. Okay, because I hadn't thought about this. It's 1993. You're making an anime. You've decided that you're going to name everything after cars. Who on staff is really knowledgeable about cars and is able to pull up all these car names? Because, like, I don't know how you do this research without, like, Googling. Do you just, like, order a bunch of well, car catalogs? Yeah, so they must a lot have had, these... like, automotive... Yeah, oh, go on. A lot you of... have the actual answer. A lot of these were, like just cars at the time in Japan. Okay. Like, most of them are named after the Japanese name for the car. Like, when I have, like, the AKAs, those are in other countries. Um, And I didn't always, like, try and track down exactly what countries, because sometimes it'll just be, like, parts of Europe call it this, and other parts, and I'm just, like, I'm not going to bother with, like, trying to track down exactly where these names are used. Probably right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, most of these are, like, the name that existed in japan and i feel like a few of the ones that are like outside of it like one there's just like automotive country uh companies and um i think like tarda and tatra is like a thing that comes up sometimes as like oh these two manufacturers names are confused um like even like before this like so that might be part of it because without giving away too much they're twins so that's like part of the joke Mm. with them um and then like a Chevy Nova is, like, a really iconic muscle car. Right. So, yeah. I feel like a lot of the stuff that's outside of this would have been the car in Japan in 93 that, like, people would just be driving on the street is because it's some iconic car. Okay. Um, okay. So, I think that that's where it came from. But then it's just, like, I have to do a lot of Googling because I was not alive. Well, I was alive in 1993, but not in Japan. Yeah. And also, I don't know shit about cars. <laughs> yeah. I don't know fucking anything about cars. Um. I just think it's very funny to be able to see all of these laid out. It is um, very good. I really yeah, liked I, the um, the ad you pulled for the TSI Eagle Vision. Oh, yeah. It's a really good ad. <laughs> uh, this is the Eagle Vision TSI. Some people might be surprised to learn that this is an American sports sedan. Asterisk. Really? With a name like Eagle Vision? Who would, who would have thought? <laughs> My favorite part is just after that, asterisks. Because again... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but because of its 24 value, 214 horsepower engine, anti lock brakes, driver and front passenger airbags, Eagle Vision. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wanted to emphasize for a long time they were like, just like fuck size the front changes. passenger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck um, the kids. <laughs> Eagle Vision has a lot of people turning in their imports. We're not really surprised by this. We knew it was, uh, we knew it as a new kind of foreign trade agreement. Eagle Vision. It was Please the call 1-800-JEEP-EAGLE. <laughs> we should try and call that number right now. All right. Not, no, not really. 
I, I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. Um, anyway, should... I really like that ad because uh, the the size, the font is consistent throughout all of the copy, but the size of the font changes yeah. from word to word in a really um, fun way that makes it very hard to read. Again, the part that I find the weirdest is that it's just like in big letters doing the like engine brakes, then small letters, driver, italics, and front passenger, and then in big text again, airbags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could we could spend qu- quite a bit of time analyzing the uh, the the font sizing on this on this ad because it uh, it's pretty. Um, Difficult to understand the logic here. Yeah. Which we are going to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, air, like airbags is like heavily emphasized, but then the fact so that it's like episode... driver and front passenger <laughs> is like. So episode 21 of Magic Knight Rayer. <laughs> Hikaru has a nightmare that she's uh, crying over the death of Emerald and is then confronted by a shadowy woman who says she will destroy Sephiro and then conquer all worlds. After awakening, Hikara proceeds to the dojo in which she lives uh, to meditate on the tragedy of Emerald. Her three brothers, Satoru, Masaru, and Kakaru, um, come to comfort her, thinking that it must be boy troubles. Similarly, Umi is home with her parents, who note the change in her and presume that it's also romantic trouble. Um, And then Fu's sister, Ku, suggests that Fu uh, should find someone who would, would wo- worry with her and share the burden and is like basically saying like you should find a boyfriend yeah um so all of them are just like you seem slightly messed up since you came back from that trip to tokyo tower clearly the problem is that you're straight and you are having trouble with boys uh-huh stop editorializing we're doing the summaries <laughs> any anyway we a tight ship thank you here. yeah jeez <laughs> <laughs> that wow. afternoon the three girls meet again at Tokyo Tower each wanting to go to Sephiro again so that they can care for the land and its people and try to make things better um, they are once again summoned to Sephiro which is now in ruins uh, Class Flying Fish catches them again takes them to the castle they're reunited with Makona and then Claff and Claff explains that he like doesn't know who summoned them uh, there's like Sephiro's crumbling because they need a pillar they don't have a pillar right now and they need help protecting Sephiro from invading countries Clef goes on to explain that the three invading countries are Autozam, Farin, and Chizeta, uh, but their goals and intentions for Sephiro are currently unknown, um, although they likely want to claim the position of Pillar uh, of Sephiro to rule over the, this universe for themselves. Um, the girls uh, pretty much immediately say they choose to fight to protect Sephiro, um, Clef bestows him with the armor and magic it once again, conveniently. He just had it lying around. And then they're also reunited with them miraculously resurrected Prisea, seems legit, uh, who gives them their weapons. <laughs> um, you know, the the Escudo weapons or whatever, still just kind of yeah. lying around. Um, finally, they're reunited with the rune guards, rune gods, and they fly off to confront the Autozam battleship NSX. Uh, inside the NSX, <laughs> Eagle Vision uh, sees the Rune Gods approaching and decides to go out in his mech, the FTO, to meet them. The Magic Knights in their Rune Gods face off against Eagle Vision and the FTO, but are interrupted by a beam of light. Eagle mutters the name Lantis and flees, and then the girls return to the castle where they reunite with Ferio, who explains his connection to Princess Emerald. 
The girls also reunite with Caldina, Lafarga, and a now older looking Ascot before finally, <laughs> I forgot about this, before finally <laughs> being introduced to Lanta's younger brother of High Priest Zagato, who is returned from saving a woman from outside the castle. He is mysterious and seemingly untrustworthy. We also meet a fairy that follows him around uh, named Primera. You're not going to comment on the joke I wrote for you? No, that's a joke for me. Okay. You refer- you referred to uh, a bunch of characters from uh, Stormlight Archive, which is a book that I fucking like. And I, it's, I'm sure, I'm sure there are people because of my podcasts who have some familiarity with the Cosmere and are also listening to this, but I didn't want to give you the fucking time of day. I didn't want to give you the satisfaction of me reading your fucking little jokes on the, on the internet. I just think. Brandon Sanderson stole a bunch of stuff from Rayer. <laughs> I mean the the shard blades, the shard plate, like this is just that, the armor that the magic knights have. Like shard bears are just magic knights. Yeah, that's um, the is whole true. thing with like the the shard bears and like their weapons and they like disappear. Like they Brandon Sanderson just like slightly changed the like only you can hold it by being like, oh it will disappear if you drop it accidentally. <laughs> but he just stole the entire concept from Rayer. Yeah. Clearly, he was watching Magic Knight Rayearth and was just like, I'm going to make a book out of this. Yeah, everyone stole everything from Rayearth, basically, is what it boils down to. I'm joking because the part where I realized that parts of Stormlight Archive was was just Rayearth is when I started really getting into Stormlight Archive. So so these are, I think, the best three episodes of the show so far. I I really like these three episodes. Yeah. Um, I really like... What, um, especially episode 21, 21, um, is really strong, I think, for just, like, I mean, it's the most obvious sequel premise in the world, which is that, you know, the girls get the happily ever after, um, except, oh, it's not happily ever after. Actually, everything's kind of fucked up and weird and (laughs) bad, and Nia's cracking a beer open and staring me in the eyes as she does it, um, and dropping shit, um, but it really- You're in a tight ship over here. (laughs) it all really works for me the way that like you know the show or the the show and the eye contact i (laughs) i'm not much of a beer drinker but i'll take a sip of this um but basically all i was gonna say was just that like i think they do a really good job of um i'm not having a whole beer don't do this (laughs) keep going I don't like that. Um, <laughs> this is why I told you not to crack open the other beer anyway. You got this. You got this. Just keep going. I, I think like this is a classic sequel premise of actually everybody feels pretty fucked up, but I think they do a really good job with it. I think they set up like, a really interesting arc for these three characters over the next season of, like, we participated in something very tragic and have feelings about it and are going to, like, change the course of our lives because of it. That's all. Yeah. Also, what are your feelings on Clef? I don't trust that little shit. (laughs) I I would say I don't trust him as far as I can throw him, but he's tiny. I could throw him pretty far, I bet. (laughs) Ouch. I (laughs) just... We don't have to go that way. We can just say he's a lying motherfucker. Um, I didn't. 
I really don't trust the way that Persea is just alive again. I was like, mm, this is going to be fucked up in some way. <laughs> Wait, it's a world of magic and will. I, I, I get it. So what if she if disintegrated we... in somebody's arms like five, like eight episodes ago? <laughs> if we got the, if we went through this whole series and it's just never brought up and Persea did just come back and it was totally fine, I'd be like, okay, sure. But the moment Persea walks on screen, is like, I don't trust anything that's happening here. I don't trust any of these motherfuckers. <laughs> I do think that's, like, somewhat significant, though, to yeah. to this episode, because I, I feel like this, like, at the end of season one, we start getting some of, like, this reveal of, oh, there's been something else going on here. Um, like, Claff kind of lied to them to some degree, about what their roles magic knights were um and so then to have them come back and to like take on this role again and there's some of it where it's like they they're talking about how they want to now like fight on their own like for their own reasons and they're like trying to approach it differently and yet they're still like taking on this role of magic knight without even knowing who summoned them um and we just see them like we're on one hand getting the message of all of season one was a tragedy. And then these episodes, we just see them like going through the same process of like, Oh, we get our uh, armor and magic from Clef. Then we get our weapons. Mm -hmm. Then we get our rune mm -hmm. gods. Um, like they're just like going through all the steps again of like, we're becoming magic knights. Um, and then the show is like, I think intentionally being like, Oh, and everything's fine. Now per se is back. Here's Clef, like, you know. Well, and, like, um, the other interesting thing that I think they're doing here is that, um, and I think you start to see this in episode 22, um, we'll see it more throughout these 10 episodes. Every time they get in a fight, the girls, like, don't want to fight. They want to have a conversation. They want to, they want to protect Zafiro. They know that. Um, but they want, while protecting Zafiro, to say, Hey, stop. Let's not fight. Why does Autozom why is Autozom invading Sephiro? And you get the girls asking these questions. Um and people will either not answer them or just start fighting or give the This is much later in these 10 episodes. Give them an answer, but it does not solve the sort of conflict of I want to protect Sephiro and you <laughs> want to invade Sephiro and just because yeah. we talked about it it's not any better now um, and so I think it's really good and, and this is the thing that's being set up in these first couple episodes is that um, like the girls are now aware that they are part of a system that will use them and like use their power as like strong young women um, for its own ends they're aware of that, and they want to resist it, but they still end up getting in all the fights with the FTO. They still, like, do everything that Clef wants them to do. They're just like, this is fucked, as they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't have any sort of ways yet of escaping the system that is, like, using them. Yeah, and I think somewhat related to that, too, is the way that, like, like I, I kind of made a joke of everyone being like, oh, clearly it's boy problems mm -hmm. when clearly all three of these girls are dating. We're all agreed on this. Um, but 
I do think that there's like a certain intentionality of the show also reminding you and setting up like people assume that this is a romantic problem. Um, and like, that is like a problem that is like related to love and that love can solve. Whereas as we talked about last episode, like importantly, I think part of the message with the end of season one is that like love alone did not prevent a tragedy. Um, it like, the tragedy still persisted. Um, and like love does not get you out of like the, what is abusive or bad about the relationship. And Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it does not like get you out of the, uh, oppressive system. Mm -hmm. Hikaru just like loving this country enough is not necessarily going to be enough to solve it. And yet Hikaru is like, I think also kind of becoming the figure here because she's most representative of the one threat season one. It was just like, if I just like rush in, if I'm hot headed, if I just like love and care about people enough, I'm going mm-hmm. to like save the day. If and I just she's believe the one who, in the magic night. Yeah. And she's the one who like played the most directly into the tragedy then mm-hmm. because she was doing that. And so right, we kind of end up focusing like this season's yeah. a lot more focused on Hikar. Yeah. And I have some thoughts about Umi and Fu and how, what they're going through at this time, but I think probably in our next batch of summaries, like we'll get there. So I'm going to hold off on that for right now. Um, yeah. yeah I, I do. <laughs> you, do you do I have anything to it. say with my, no, with this I, massive ream of notes that I have in here? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm yeah. I'm going to have you speak now. We are oh. recording with two of us in one room. So it's like slightly easier for us to just bounce back. And forth. <laughs> you go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, benevolent leader um yeah i think you both are right to pull out this kind of um this kind of malaise uh that hangs over these initial episodes um especially like what it reminds me of most specifically is the uh scene that we kind of uh highlighted in the last two episodes of season one where right after they kill zagato and zagato's like hey, like, have you ever thought about this? And they're like, nope, you're dead. And then they're kind of, like, celebrating. Uh, the malaise that hangs over that scene uh, is mm-hmm. almost kind of the same malaise that we have um, in these early episodes yeah. where um, you're exactly right in what you said about, like, the identification is still, this whole identification that we talked about um, that is cultivated and that they're, like, conditioned into, um by Clef and the forces of Sephiro, um, like throughout season one is still present. Um, and that shows in the fact that they're like completely unperturbed by the fact that they just like warp back into Sephiro with no explanation, um, immediately take on their roles again. Um, and uh, I think this malaise to, it's not only an extension of like the irony of, the reveal at the end of season one where it's like, oh yeah, these systems that you were a part of um, are actually like really oppressive. Um, but there's also a kind of dramatic irony that the series is doing here where there is development in these characters from season one to season two, and they're reacting to the trauma that they've experienced um, and trying to like, seemingly trying to um, learn from it. And they're kind of the conclusion that we get um, in this batch of episodes is you're like, well, we want to talk to, we want to talk to people before we fight them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and like at least learn what this other side is all about um and on one hand that is a kind of like development um but again as you pointed out like on the other hand it's completely ineffectual um if they if they've already made the choice to like fight and be magic knights um, right yeah. It would have been ineffectual in season one. Like, even if they knew what was going on, like, they still would have <laughs> ended up killing Emerald. Um, <laughs> and it's ineffectual here because of, like, the all of the, like, geopolitical shit that we get into. Um, at least with, like, Autozam, I think it is more um, the, the way- specifically fleshed out. The way that the first part of the season immediately reframes Sephiro not as a world, but as a planet that is also a nation, and there are nations that are competing for like its resources. Yeah, they watched bananas. a shitload of Gundam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they just watched a shitload of Gundam before they before they made season two. Clef um, shows up and is like, "This is a different show than what you thought it was," in like yeah. a pretty substantial way. Yeah, they're like, I mean, oh yeah, again, there's actually like, other planets, and they want independence, so they're gonna like they're invading us because they're trying to destroy our corrupt government and like have self determination. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like um, the season two in particular does just like, like mechs show up in season one, and it's like, oh, there's mech now. Like there's like mm-hmm. mechs now, and I joke about it being a mech show. But you get to season two, and you're like, oh no, this just is a mech show now. Yes, yes, because <laughs> it's doing like sort of the most basic trope. I think of like at least once you get into real robot shows, which I don't think this is a real robot show in any way. But I think you know. It's drawing on, like, especially yeah. Gundam. What are you talking it, about? They're named after cars. You do Mac, you're, like, drawing on Gundam to some... Yeah, exactly. So. Um, and, like, sort of the classic trope of that is, um, like, these two people want to speak to each other, but they're literally in, like, you know, sort of idealized human bodies that make it impossible for them to talk to each other because they have to... They can only perform like war while in these bodies they cannot like talk and so like the very first thing that happens it's like oh this is a mech show now is that hikaru is like i want to talk to you and eagle vision is like later nerd and like fucks off because like he he can't look her in the eye and see how like she feels about that um and so he just blows her off you know that's that's a good point and uh i was gonna like I was going to end my spiel earlier by, by saying, like, the ultimate dramatic irony, I think, is the fact that they're trying to, they're still identifying with being magic knights. They're trying to, like, reform or perform this role in a different way that is, like, more just. But the problem with being magic knights is that the magic knights are weapons. And, like, identifying with this role that has been, like, foisted on you that the world wants you to be means identifying with being a weapon fundamentally um even if they haven't put two and two together and the ultimate irony is them like the scene with clef where they're just like eagerly volunteering again to like fight in this conflict they don't understand um and like you know afterwards they try to mitigate it by being like oh well we have to talk to them and understand like what they're fighting for um but just the fact that this happens, like, in episode 22 right away, um, I think it sets up a dialogue with Magic Knight Re-Earth 1, um, mm-hmm. where this irony is, like, being perpetuated. Um, 
and also it like it has these consequences for um how things unfold uh as season two goes along yeah um i think one of the other big things that i like i joke to some degree about this being a show about like three girls in an open relationship who move to the woods with their pet cat. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, I genuinely believe that the show, whether yes. it knows it or not is about like Hikaru being in a polyamorous relationship with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to continue to co- get complicated. Um, and it's part of what I find really interesting about this show, and I think we can, like, set up a little bit here, although we can get into it more as it goes on, but I just, like, want to touch on it because of the episode 21 scenes of there's a certain problem being set up, even at the very beginning here, of, like, straightness and then queerness. Mm -hmm. Of, like, they went to this world where, aside from Fu having her fling, Mm -hmm. her, like, I'm mostly straight, but I'm with these, my girlfriends, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to like really pine over this boy mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's mostly like Hikaru and Umi are just like hanging out with their girlfriend mm-hmm. for an entire season. Yeah. And then they both get back and both of their parents are just like, oh, it must be something to do with boys. Yes. Yes. That is why you're upset. Yes. And it's literally them being upset about like, we, we killed two people. <laughs> Yes. Well, <laughs> um, and, like, the thing well, that Fu's... Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but... The thing that Fu's sister suggests is, like, you know, it, she is talking about boys, but, like, the thing that, like, what happens is that Fu's sister is, like, you need people who can comfort you, hint, hint, a boy. Um, yeah. And then cut to the three girls return to Tokyo Tower to talk about the terrible thing that they went through. Yeah. And, like, it's very clear that like these three girls do need a support system. It's just that it happens to be two other girls and not a boy, you yeah. know? Um, and I think that's significant. Yeah. And that, that well, I, I mean, we'll get to Landis as well, but I think like the, cause I, I feel like a thing that's going to happen is I think, like you and I, Connor, might end up having different reads about what's going on with Landis. Because I, I know, love like this guy, I know, like your responses to to Landis, and I know the way that I read the series and the way that it resolves. Um, and we've talked about how, like, I think you view some of the stuff as more incoherent than I think I actually do. But we'll we'll get to it as we go on. I feel like when we get to later episodes, I'll be able to talk about it more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, like not yeah. just the later episodes of the 10 episodes, but like later episodes of the podcast. Yeah. Um, I think, but I do want to set up a little bit this like problem of straightness versus queerness that I think is being like intentionally signaled to some extent, because even in the first episode, we, I think briefly, I forget if we see Nova then, or if it's just Ebonair, but like pretty soon we start getting Nova. And it's Nova just being Ebonair like, in the first one. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll get like Nova throughout and saying a lot of very gay shit. The, the thing, <laughs> the thing that this season opens on is he he could have having dreams about women, you know? Yeah. Who like women who love her, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, that is like the the motif of the first eight episodes of the second season, you know? <laughs> is um, 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that is, I think this is an important thing to bring out, um, because this problem of like straightness and queerness, it looms especially large over the second half of season two. I mean, it's obviously very present right now, but it, it, it takes on like the significance almost of a crux, um, ultimately. And I will just like, Neve, I know that you, um, yeah, we've talked about our like ultimate readings of this series. And I know you have a reading that is almost like allegorical about Hikaru and being Polly. Um, and I, I think that is present. Um, I don't know if, I don't take it to the point of like the series is like literally like just an allegory. Um, I think that's part of like a matrix of like, it's part of the symbolic logic. Um, and then the resolution of that logic is like, I think up for debate. Um, yeah. But one of the I, things so that one of the, the things I'm going to figure here is just that like, when we start finding out more of who Nova is, I think some of like my arguments can become clear and that's part of why I'm not going to like immediately make it right now. Uh, other than just to say that like knowing what I know about who Nova is when she says you love those two girls and it's specifically using the word like the girls that you love. And then it's also using like, I love you mm-hmm. and talking about like, I should be the only one who plays with you, blah, blah, blah which we'll, we'll get to as we talk about later episodes, but like when she says that stuff, we as the audience should believe that she knows something true about Hikaru and is not projecting onto Hikaru. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll just say, I think you're like, we're not going to argue about that. <laughs> um, I, I think we're like very much on the same page about that. Um, I think it's just like the way that all of this is like resolved is where we might differ. Um, and I, I know it's hard. Looks this is like our to, Ava. Yeah. <laughs> this is like our Ava recordings where we just both had a point we wanted to make, but it was like later on and we just have to get through it. Um, mm-hmm. But so the thing I want to say is like part of the problem, the overarching like problem or like theme of Ray Earth, which we talked about in season one, has to do with like identity and freedom. And, like, the imposition of roles from, like, the world outside and social convention and, like, what other people want you to be and what they want you to do. Um, And we saw the girls, like, succumb to this in the the form of, like, becoming magic knights. And there was so much of our conversation in season one was about this. Um, And that is still, like, very much a problem here. And this is, and I think the the emergence of heteronormativity, uh, the very aggressive emergence um, in season two, is uh, a big part of that. Um, where it's like, at first, it's like, oh, okay, well, they're back in the real world. So, you know, is it just now in the real world heteronormativity reasserting itself, like in contradistinction to, you know, what the girls are able to have? Uh, in this quote-unquote dream world of Sephiro, you know, that's not immediately clear yet. 
But what is clear, I think, especially through like 20, 2130, um, is just this like preponderance um, of like heteronormative pressure that was like nowhere in season one. All of a sudden, it's like you can't turn. Like anytime you turn left, you run into it. Um, and it is just littered throughout in like small dialogues, um, in, in, uh, in the actual like pairings of characters. Uh, and yeah, I think that this is, um, tying into this like larger theme, uh, in a way that becomes really significant, uh, later on. Yeah. Do we want to have final thoughts on the, these episodes, or do we want to move on to the next ones? I have nothing about this. I, I had I a couple. Have, I, have... I had a couple thoughts on like the the first uh, Hikaru's dream. Uh, yeah. So like, episode twenty one kicks off with this dream uh, with Debonair, aka Meryl Streep, and Nova. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, like, right away we get the intro of this season's Big Bad in Meryl Street. Um, and it is directly... So the first thing that I think is significant is it's directly linked to Emerald's death. Um, we see Hikaru's guilt over Emerald's death, like, being portrayed with, like, images of Emerald, I think. Um, so not only is the narrative, like, centering on Hikaru by opening on her dream, but it is, like, tying these things together. And uh, the villain Debonair is like this evil queen figure um, who is clearly rem- reminiscent of Emerald's like final form. So there's some way in which Hikaru's guilt over killing Emerald is embodied in this like even more monstrous uh, queen figure, like an exaggerated, um, more evil version of you know Emerald. Um, I think this is related to Hikaru is still like struggling with comprehending this like quote unquote evil version of Emerald. Um, the evil version of Emerald being like her adult form, uh, who's like, you know, has like sexual agency and mm-hmm. romantic desire and like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we saw that Hikaru had a really hard time reconciling the two ver- versions of Emerald, uh, in season one. And she's still like, having some trouble with this. Um, and then another, uh, another important thing that we, I may refer back to later is this, um, important, like symbolic reversal where, uh, magic night rare with one has Sephiro, AKA this like dream world as a place of wish fulfillment and like unbound agency, um, where now we can like, you know, ride a flying fish and, do magic and be like RPG heroes and blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. But that illusion is now shattered um, pretty much right away where the dream world is actually, is now a nightmare, a nightmare, um, a place of like horror uh, and helplessness. And uh, yeah, we'll see if that uh, becomes uh, important later. So ne- next episodes. <laughs> yeah. So episode 24 of Magic Knight Ray Earth, um, we start with three scenes <laughs> where each of the Magic Knights are unable to sleep and have a conversation with someone else in the castle. Um, as a note, going back to like the fandom for this, um, this episode became like really popular with fanfic writers because you can just like have people this have conversations a- and then fuck. This is a really good episode. 
Yeah. And also, yeah, there's a lot of uh, space for fucking. Yeah. So, uh, also, the, the weird thing castle. is that... So, there is, like, a popular... Like, in some fans, people... <laughs> like, some fans and, like, some fan pick... People would ship Umi and Clef specifically because of this, even though that is not the dynamic. <laughs> yeah, it's Oof. a... I do not like that ship. Anyway... Um, so first, Umi visits Clef and apologizes to him for being selfish and only thinking of, of returning to Tokyo um, during the first season. And Clef is like, actually, I should be the one to apologize. I didn't tell you the truth of like what the magic knights are. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Fu meets with Ferio, uh, who returns to the yak back pager to her as they basically talk around the long distance romance so far. Um, any any the act back pager jokes people want to like really get in here? So, sorry, I was checking text I while you were. I'm I sorry, I failed other, you. The other prompts on Bop It, <laughs> so I'm just gonna say Bop It. Finally, Hikaru encounters Lantis, comforting oh, Mira. Oh, punch it, punch it! Great, the little girl Twist that Hikaru it. saved in episode four of the first season. Um, Lantis is basically assuring the girl that monsters from her nightmare won't become real and eat her, which is weird because the show has repeatedly explained to us that people's fears create monsters, and so like literally, he's saying like the way that monsters work is not true. Mm-hmm. You're you being as scared of a monster is not going to make the monster real. Mm-hmm. The thing that we've been repeatedly explained mm-hmm. is actually how mm-hmm. monsters work in this world. I just want to point that out here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, Hikaru apologized to Lantis for killing his brother and begs him to hit her as retaliation, at least in the, the subs that I have. Yeah. Um, he says no, and he doesn't blame her. Um, if anything, he blames Sephiros, and then he's cut off because Primera's here to be a brat and like cut him off and be all jealous about Hikaru, which so, is like her bit. Do you think Hikaru would say that she's the one who deserves to be hit? Yeah. I mean, she thinks, <laughs> she clearly thinks so. Yeah, unless that's a like an inside joke that I'm not getting. It's it's an Evangelion joke. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. Um, it's Shinji saying. Yeah. I'm the, yeah. Ano just plagiarized yeah. everything from Rayer. <laughs> uh, so the NSX approaches the castle again, and Hikaru and her girlfriends go out to try to speak to Eagle, um, and they basically say like they don't want to fight the other side. <laughs> However, they are interrupted by the return of Alcyone, who attacks Umi. So, like, is it... We have more synopsis to do. Real quick. I know, I know. (laughs) Real quick. So is it kind of like... Because online, there's that button where you can leave somebody a voicemail. Is it kind of like that? Is it kind of like I just talk into the phone and I leave you a voicemail? Is that what a yakback is? No. Oh, pull it. That's the other one. (laughs) That's it. Twist it, punch it, pull it. That's... So, like, you know the voice memo app of your phone. Yeah. Where you can like record it. That's what I'm. Ju- that's what I'm describing right now. No, but the voice memo, not yeah. sending me a a message. Uh-huh. You're not sending it to anyone. Okay. You're literally just a yak back is like you're literally just recording it yourself. Okay. So it's the voice memo app. Okay. It's the part where you literally just record your voice for yourself. It stays on your phone. It doesn't go anywhere. Okay. Umi is saved and by Fu, and they continue to face off <laughs> against Alcione, whose eyes turn red as she is surrounded by a dark presence. This is the influence of the shadowy figure, who we'll later learn is named Debonair, uh, played by Meryl Streep in a uh, role that she won an Academy Award for, uh, <laughs> and who has haunted Hikaru's dreams. Uh, and Hikaru has another vision of Nova, 
who who now reveals that she was quote unquote born for Hikaru. Fucking um, Anno stealing everything from Rayer. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read this because this is a conspiracy. Um, anyway, Alcione vanishes for now. Um, back in the castle, Clef and the others were watching the encounter and remarked that the monster Alcione rode on was not from Sephira. Uh, and now, not even now, creepily adult Ascot just has no idea where uh, where it came from. Uh, and then Lantis. Yeah, so, as the Umi on the podcast, how do you feel about adult Ascot? Let's. We should ask that question later. There might be a more optimal time to ask that. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll save it Let's for next episode. Reserve, reserve your answer. Um, and then Atlantis and Clef speak telepathically about Atlantis's powers and trying to trace the dark presence that surrounded Alcione. Um, but unfortunately, uh, Alcione hung up too fast, so they couldn't trace. <laughs> um, the girls finally go to speak with Eagle outside of their mechs. And as they begin to discuss Eagle's intentions to claim the, the pillar system for Autozam, uh, they're interrupted by the approach of Lady Asuka of Farin. The Magic Knights depart to intercept Lady Asuka and the Dome of Farin, with Eagle trailing behind to observe the battle. Lady Asuka summons a giant dancing lion with, from an inkbrush painting using the Farin royal family's special illusion magic. The dancing lion is seemingly undefeatable until the magic knights manage to trick it into attacking the dome of Farin itself, which causes the spell to break. Lady Asuka retreats, and Eagle, uh, having gathered battle data, retreats as well. Then Hikaru uh, has another vision of Nova, who tells her, You really love those two, don't you? I will unite you with them so you can be together forever by killing you all. That is, their sentence is confusing. <laughs> Back at the tower, Lantis steps into a strange room with water and, a, and Princess Emerald's crown placed at the center and says, The tragedy will never a- happen again. I will end the legend of the Magic Knights with these hands. Uh, Hikaru has a dream of Debonair trying to get the crown of Princess Emerald in the room that we saw Lantis in last episode. Um, when she awakes, her girlfriend Umi can tell that something is troubling her, despite the fact that Hikaru claims that everything is all right. Um, this is extremely their dating, where just just everyone dating. is like, "They're just dating." I know you so well that I can just tell from your silence the exact way that you're feeling right now. Um, What's that like? I don't know. Uh, another earthquake hits the castle as Sephiro continues to crumble. Um, and so the girls go to meet with the, the other people of Sephiro. Uh, they discuss the crumbling of Sephiro and the need to find a new pillar to restabilize it. And Clef takes them to see Princess Emerald's cl- crown, um, confirming that Hikaru's vision was not merely a dream. It, it is the room that she like saw in her dream. Um, Clef explains that only three objects can open the door to this room. Clef's magic ring, which is what they opened it with right now. Uh, Zagato's magic plate, which we just like... who. Who knows where that it? Yeah, I was literally it disintegrated. I I didn't think of it while the episode was happening, but I'm thinking of it now. Where did that plate go? Yeah, and it's, then Lantis it's still magic the dishwasher. <laughs> 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 um, then um, we get a flashback. <laughs> so, that that one really hit you up. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> We get a flashback to Landis and Zagato, where Zagato questions the need for a pillar system. It's, like, set in this, like, um, Lantis is in a tree, Zagato comes by, blah, blah, blah. This will come back. Um, 
like minor spoilers, I guess. Meanwhile, Hikaru says that she wants to leave the castle to see if there's anyone still alive outside the castle who would have the strength and of will to become the pillar. Cause like someone had to summon them. Right. Um, and so they finally agree like, yes, you can go if you're accompanied by Lantis while the other two magic knights stay behind to guard the castle. There's like negotiation happening mm-hmm. about like, we want to go with our girlfriend. Mm hmm. But the castle needs to be safe, blah, blah, blah. Worth, um, worth noting that Hikaru is like, I'm going to go outside of the castle. And, oh, yeah, Atlantis can come with me. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Then uh, far away in another castle, we see Alcione bowing before the Dark Presence. Um, and this is where we actually learn a name, I think. I think this is where it's first mentioned, Debonair. Um, and Debonair, Debonair asks Alcione... Uh, who saved you from the castle when the last pillar was killed? Who owns your life? So, you know, just some gay shit. Um, and then Nova is like, now I'm going to paint those two girls that Hikaru loves in bright red blood. I'll rip their beautiful bodies apart. No, so some no more gay shit. Commentary there. Oh, okay, there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, Hikaru and Lantis are uh, uh, out having a peaceful stroll through the post-apocalyptic uh, Sephiro. Um, fighting monsters, you know, all that. Um, Lantis is stoic, but does, uh, quote unquote nice things, uh, like slow his pace to match Hikaru's and shelter her from the rain with his cape, which of course annoys Primera. Um, I think they're supposed to be nice. Um, certainly they are taken to be that way by Hikaru. Yeah. Um, I think the one part that's like, has a little bit of weird tension to it is where she's like, I'm like not that weak. You don't need to shelter me from rain, and he just keeps doing it, which is is a little weird. That's why I did the quote unquote nice there. Yeah, um, but then her reaction is like she's like enamored by it. So yeah, yeah. Um, as the rain clears, uh, Eagle appears in his FTO. Uh, he can <laughs> summons Ray Earth, and they fight. Um, Eagle is able to shield against Hikaru's spells. Um, and cuts off uh, part of Rayer's shield arm. Um, but then Hikaru is able to cut through the FTO's barrier shield uh, with her sword and then cut off the FTO's arm. Um, Glantis breaks up the fight using an energy beam from his sword, just like firing at mechs with no mech, yeah. like a badass. Um, Lantis briefly questions Eagle, as he previously told Eagle about the issues with the pillar system when he was in Autozam, uh, but Eagle says he still needs it. Uh, maybe we'll figure out why. Uh, Eagle captures Hikaru and begins dragging her away with his uh, tractor beam. Uh, and then Lantis is going to like intercede, but Alcione attacks. Um, when Lantis speaks, she's reminded of Zagato's voice um, and says, Zagato, I loved you. I truly loved you. I can't forgive you. Um, and goes all Joker mode. Um, and then meanwhile, Umi and Fu are uh, so gay for Hikaru that they're new types now, and sense that Hikaru <laughs> is in danger. Yep, for sure. A lot of, uh, they definitely watched Gundam um, before they made this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they like tel- telepathically intuit that Hikaru is in danger, um, and then rush out from the castle. These episodes, I think, are a bit weird because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff in these episodes, and they're it is spread out between a lot of wheel spinning. I feel like where yeah. uh, this... none of what happens with Lady Oscar matters, you know, 
Yeah, it is I just mean, another fight scene. We're getting like introduced her as a character, but like it doesn't go anywhere. In yeah, the, these episodes. Um, and also, I think like you know, I really like season two of Ray Earth. There's a reason why I was like, let's do ten episodes at a time, and it's because a lot of these episodes yeah. will have someone say like, "We need a new." Pillar of Sephiro, because without it, like, Sephiro will crumble. And then someone will be like, Sephiro is crumbling without the pillar. And then someone else will be like, we need one. <laughs> we need a new one. We'll be able to make this world right. And yes. you're just like, cool. We just, like, heard the same thing three times in a row. <laughs> you get the sort of, um... In these episodes, you get the sort of, like, Dragon Ball peanut gallery of people who are commenting on the fight as the fight is happening. Yeah. Um... In a way that this show did not need, um, but does need if you need to fill a, you know, order for 29 episodes that are all 20 minutes in length. Yeah. Right? You know, <laughs> you, do, do, you do need those characters uh, for that purpose, but, you know, for making a show that I enjoy watching, you don't need that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, think... yeah, I, I, I say that like I didn't like these episodes. There's a lot of interesting things here. I just think that the pace of the show screeches to a halt. Yeah. I think if there's like two things I could say um, in defense of what's going on with all this stuff, uh, like while agreeing with you, I think that. So first of all, let me return to like a comment that Neve made, uh, I think in our second episode on season one, um, where you were kind of arguing that like politics, the political like analysis of where earth is, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but, like, irrelevant or, like, mostly irrelevant compared to, like, it's an allegorical function towards something else. Um, but I think in season two, it, I, I don't think it's irrelevant. Um, I think it actually is, like, a very important subcurrent of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And all of this, like, fixation on the pillar and everybody's, like, helplessness um around the issue uh and, and that like at as conveyed in this constant like refrain of like we need a pillar world's crumbling because there's no pillar um i think it's just reflecting like the conceptual like impact of or the conceptual tendencies of people who are under like a given uh, political system which like the pillar is um mm-hmm. their like attachment and their like ideological indoctrination into the system makes them so fixated on like this i'm just replacing the pillar um there's no like we don't see that they have any ability to like imagine uh another another path forward um which spoiler alert we we eventually do get um, mm-hmm. at the end. And I think that movement's really important um, for right. season two. Yeah. Um, I think for for me to like interject a little bit as the one you like put forward that I don't think Ray Earth is like really interested in the political. Some of it is like season two definitely does develop it a lot more than season one. Yeah. Um, it, in a way that I think is important, but I think in a way that is also still for me, when I watch the show and they're talking about like the pillar system and like 
what does it represent and to be like ideologically bought into it and then trying to challenge it and everything. I, I don't think they're talking specifically about like, I don't think the, the, the true point of it is necessarily this like political intrigue element and more that the pillar system is still standing in for like a certain, um, like put upon mode of like gender and sexuality that exists. That is, I think for me, at least when I watch the show, the core tension of like what's actually happening here is the pillar system representing a model of like what it means to be a woman that mm-hmm. Emerald represented. Yeah. And that's still being debated and is still looming over it, even in her death. And the, the, the question right now is like, who replaces that role? Yes. And then the broader question of like season two is, and what is like changing that role look like? Right. I, I, had two I, quick I will say thoughts. I, mm-hmm. I think they're implicated. Like, I think those two things are not, I don't think one is subordinated to the other. I think they're imbricated in the sense of like it is totalitarian, like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's like an absolutist like hegemony um, that is prescribing like rules for people and instrumentalizing them. Um, I had I had two yeah, quick thoughts. Sorry, yeah. One was uh, spinning out of what you were saying, Connor, which is that it is, you know all these people can't conceive of themselves outside of this, you know, sort of like pillar system. And, um, it's really funny that you have everybody in the entire world in this one castle, including the like group of the like six or seven most important people with the most power. And all of them are just standing around looking at a crystal ball being like, Man, we really need you know some sort of executive to come in and like clean up our <laughs> shit because I I I don't want to make a decision. Do you want to make a decision? Yeah. Landis want to make a decision, but we, none of us trust him. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. That's and that's. Um, oh, sorry. I know you had another thought, so I'll. <laughs> I the other thought was just that like, um, I I I mm, I can't. It was something about what you were saying about how like the pillar is this sort of like certain way that gender is constructed. And it was spinning out of that. And I can't quite remember it because I started talking about how funny it is that Clef is a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Clef is the most middle manager, mm-hmm. middle manager who's just like, I don't even know if I fully agree with what I'm being asked to do, but like my job is to tell the magic knights to become magic knights so they can kill the CEO. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> right. And and because that's my job, I don't have to accept any responsibility for it. What I did really messed up these three girls, and I will tell the one of them in the dead of night that I feel a bit bad about it, but for the most part, I feel like I've washed yeah. my hands. Like, I, I'm i just doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> I just work yeah. here. Yeah, I think the... I got my paycheck. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> well, this is also... One of the things that I think the series does really well, and this kind of goes back to the malaise that we were discussing in the first couple episodes, uh, the way that it suddenly like points to the indoctrination of people into these roles, um, and like when the knights come in, when they first return to Sephiro, they like feel really bad, and they're like, "Wow, I really need to grapple with like the fact that we that I did this like really fucked up shit," and then Clef. Clef is the first one, then Furio does it too. Like, delivers this company line of like, oh no, it's okay. Emerald wanted to die. 
um, so you don't have to like feel bad. And then the knights immediately like there's a monologue that he could have used like shortly after that, where she's like, "Okay, I feel a little better about it because you're right. I'm Rod wanting to die." Um, and it's like pulling them back in uh, to this kind of uh, to this rationalized like buy-in um Mm -hmm. uh, like to this system um and the way that like people uh become agents of it and condition each other um into like accepting it um even even though it's not like malicious it's just like just like with clef like the middle manager type of like oh yeah this is just like what happens i can't imagine (laughs) another system um, this is just what it is. So, like, I'm just going to tell my subordinates, like, yeah, this is just how it is. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like uh, naturalizing a. Uh, it's naturalizing this really distorted, like, totalitarian regime, um, which, like, all, of course, uh, all totalitarian regimes uh, aim to naturalize themselves. Um, right. But like it, that's what we see um, happening here, um, and so I, that's why I think it's, even though it is kind of like grading, um, I, I think the like this constant repetition and this helplessness um, serves to uh, convey that. Um, and then I had one thing. I have another thought on this that I had for like episode 30, but I'm just going to put it now. Um, This like critique of the like totalitarianism um, of the pillar system is, I think um, it's sharpened a little bit more in episode 30 where Debonair finally like expresses her, uh, objective where she says my wish is complete annihilation absolute darkness an elegant void um and i mentioned like in the first episode debonair is linked to emerald in all these ways um and here again like that link is solidified where ultimately debonair represents this kind of negational inverse of the world under the pillar where like under the pillar of the world is ruled by this uh this person who has absolute power this quote-unquote like benevolent dictator um who literally has absolute power over like all living creatures and all goings on in this entire world um but just happens to exert it for a kind of like peace um so it's like quote-unquote benevolent um but it's also a static world where people don't really have um any freedom or agency um and debonair in a way like represents the uh the exact inverse of this where like okay instead of uh like peace through uh instead of like a static peace through life that is just like arrested and deprived of will um instead i'll just have like an elegant void uh we'll have a static uh peaceful world under my absolute power, but there will just be like nothing. Um, right. And I think this is like an interesting thing that the show does tying these two things together 
Uh, because it, in a way, like, both of these systems are denial of life. Um, and we can only really, we uh, only finally really see the sharp end of, of that uh, for like what it fully is um, when we see the like negational, the mirror image in, in Debonair. We can then reflect on like, oh, fuck, okay. Yeah, this is kind of like, you know, this is truly like uh, the same um, as, with the same dynamic as like the pillar, the pillar system that we've been wanting to defend um, for 30 episodes now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think one thing I want to bring up here, too, because I agree with you that there is some paralleling happening with Debonair and Emerald as like one as figures who for most of the series, like minor spoilers for what's ahead are going to be like figures that are talked about that appear in visions, but that are not like physical presences mm-hmm. in the world until like near the very end. Um, and that's definitely getting set up even by like, we talked about episode 21 that has like Hikaru specifically dreaming about feeling guilt over Emerald's death and then mm-hmm. seeing Debonair. Um, but I think also like, I will talk about this more when we get to the final 10 episodes, but I think there is also a parallel being drawn, which we get here. Um, like I, within the notes, Connor, you have stuff written about possession and like oh, Alcione yeah. being possessed by, um, by Debonair. And there, there is definitely like this, this sense of um, like Debonair controlling Alcione, but I think there is also a paralleling, happening as well um even just like visually with alcione and debonair um in ways that i want to like signal here because i think it, it is already happening and will like happen as alcione appears and that ties into some of my final reads of like what happens at the end of the series um like i don't maybe you can disagree with me connor but i i do feel like this show is also specifically pairing up alcione as like the person who continue to love Zagato was like attached to Zagato and survived season one being the one who's then aligned with Debonair. Um, and it is like paralleling Debonair in some ways. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's right. Um, and I think, I mean, I underlined this note. So, you know, like, you know, you know, I was going to, uh, shoehorn this in some way or another. Um, but yeah, I think possession, um, Watching the season two again, um, it just stood out as one of the key themes. Um, possession in the sense of like spiritual possession, like possessing another person's body and like controlling them. Um, but then also possess- possession as in possessiveness, um, which uh, is like erupting uh, across a lot of these relationships, um, mm-hmm. including Hikaru. Um, Neve, I know that this is an important part of your reading. Um, so yeah. I will just like leave that well, over like, there for you to we, fill we will in get later. to this more with Nova, but like one of the things too that that comes up for me is that I think like Primera primarily exists, uh, at least so far within like these ten episodes, to be jealous and possessive of Lantis. Um and I, I for 
part of my read of this because especially this is a slower paced show and a lot of stuff gets like reiterated between episodes is I think to like set up a certain theme of like jealousy and possessiveness that um, is going to be developed further, but like right now they don't have all the pieces in place to do the actual development they want to do. And so they're just like, well, let's have this fairy character express these themes so that we like, we have it in the mix. Um, like I, I think part of the slowness of these first 10 episodes in particular is we also talked a little bit about like the first 10 episodes of the first season and how I think like it was setting a lot of the pieces that it would then develop as like we got into the second half of season one. Um, and I think to some degree, like I do watch these and there are, there are parts where I'm just like, okay, you clearly could have just had one person say the line mm-hmm. and moved on. And instead you have like a conversation. That's basically what that one line expressed that like goes on for another minute. Like yes. clearly you are like filling time as like, yes, this could probably still be really strong as like 20 or 25 episodes and not 29. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a certain amount of slowness. Like, I think you watch them with Alcione and you're just like, nothing new is happening here. Yeah. And I was like, there's stuff happening with Alcione. You just haven't gotten to what they do with Alcione. Right. Um, and so I think there's like a certain amount of like, they are setting the pieces into place here. And sometimes there's parts where you're just like, oh, I, I know this mm-hmm. already. And you don't necessarily realize in the moment that like oh but they are actually drawing some they are actually saying things about the relationship between Alcione and Debonair in a way that will like make more sense as things goes things go on but right now you're just like oh yeah I guess she's being controlled by the evil person again right like, <laughs> like the sort of um the the similar thing that happens is um you get Lantis walks into the room with the pillar's crown and is like I'll destroy the legend of the magic knights and I personally popped off for that because I love when a man shows up in a show and is like, I will totally uproot the system that the world yeah. is governed by. Like, I just think that's great. I'm like, yeah, let this guy fuck up some shit. This pillar system seems bad. Let him do it. Yeah. Um. So I was excited for that. And that's the end of the episode. And then the next episode is establishing more of like what the pillar system is and how they're going to find the next pillar. But they don't follow that thread. And so I was a little bit like, oh, I, was, I thought we were going to get more of that thread in episode 26. And it, actually, we're going to get more of that thread in episode like 32 or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it's it's having a function that like when you first watch through, you might not be able to immediately ascertain Um but that's why, that's why we're doing it. That's why we're uh, we're doing it on Ghost Divers because I hope that uh, having like a very like sensitive, attentive uh, reading to this stuff um, can we can like signpost at least. Oh, hey, like this is something that doesn't seem to have a lot of significance, but um, in fact, it, it's doing this thing, and you know. Uh, we can look at it later on. Um, and with that in mind, I do think important stuff is happening with this like possessiveness um, subthread, uh, even in like these episodes um, outside of the stuff with Primera, who like I agree, Primera's 
Primera is one of the like characters who seems to um, be like a mouthpiece for some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but we well, also it's have... also is also figuring it in like a very joking way. Yeah. Um, in the way that like later on it's going to be developed more seriously. But right now they're like further getting you. I think into the mindset of like, Oh, the, these themes of like jealousy within relationships and things, but Mm -hmm. we're doing it like jokingly where this like, Oh, it's a pixie where it's like, how could she even be with him anyway? Or whatever is kind of like the assumption that the viewer I think is supposed to have. Um, and then she's just like all upset about it, which is on one end kind of gesturing towards like, Oh, there is going to be a romantic relationship developed between Hikaru and Lantis because why else would they keep having this fairy show up and be like you're trying to steal him from me Mm -hmm. Um, but I think they're also trying to like set up that jealousy but as a joke where then like Makona eats her and then spits her out or whatever yeah it is really funny you finished what you were saying because I was gonna I was gonna slightly tangent (laughs) okay um it's becoming part of like it's becoming part of the dialogue in the show right like yeah it's it's introducing this theme that like is if we are attentive to it we can then start spotting like kind of uh, gathering tension like around this in a lot of the other relationships and and arcs that are forming um and i well i have an episode that i want to uh look more closely at to discuss this, but um, first, uh, I will throw it to Autumn. I was just going to say, it is funny that they start to signpost um, that, like, Lantis and there's some sort of, like, something going on between Lantis and Hikaru that neither of them are saying yet. Um, And it might be romantic, it might be something else. Um, there's other shit with Lantis that's happening, like, romantically in these ten episodes that, yeah, like, we'll talk about in a minute. we can really get into with the next two. But... Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's really funny that they start signposting this um, and having the big, like, you, like I'm the one that deserves to be hit scene. Um, but every time they're standing next to each other, they have these absurd character designs where Hikaru is four feet tall and Lantis is seven. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really Problematic funny. height gap. <laughs> it's really funny, yeah. funny every time you put them in a scene together and they're like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm Hikaru and I'm blushing because Lantis is standing next to me and he's like literally double her height. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. anime also logic how- where she's like 14 and he's like 16 or something. And yeah, yes. like the yes. way that they are drawn is like, she's like 12 and he's like 32. 30. <laughs> Clamp, yeah. Clamp was like, okay, I see what you're going for with um, Usagi and Momoru, but uh, you could make it more. <laughs> um, I actually don't know all of the character designs. Uh, so I, there are definitely some character designs in season two that were not clamp. Um, this is because this isn't actually an important point, which right? Is that, because like, Nova is Nova not. never appears in the manga, and yet the makers of season two thought that it was very important that at the very least she be designed by clamp, and so they actually requested clamp make the character design for Nova. You, can, um, I can, and tell. so there is like clamp 
there's official clamp art that was produced of Nova in a way that like some of the other I would believe you I would have. believe that Lantis is not one of those. Yeah, I think Lantis might not be um I believe Eagle Vision is because Eagle Vision shows up as a like in a different way in the manga um but does exist in the manga mm-hmm. so um but yeah there's someone where I'm like I I haven't looked into exactly all of this, but I, I do also think that like there are parts where some of the, like, I'm pretty sure we haven't gotten to them yet, but like, uh, Tarda and Tatra are like just very clearly like character designers looked at, um, why am I totally drawing a blank on her name? Caldina. Uh, like illusionist. Yeah. Caldina, um, yeah. looked at Caldina and we're just like, all right, let's just like make that. Mm-hmm. Let's just make two more of that. <laughs> Um, and then we're just like, anyway, that okay, was a tangent, yeah, but go for it. What? Um, that was my tangent, but oh. yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, I wanted to look at episode 24 really quick. Um, mm-hmm. and first thing I'll say is like, I want to specifically link this to, um, the first two episodes where we talked about like the pressures of heteronormativity, um, as developing on that, um, so, you know, right away in season two, um, we get this suggestion from the girls' respective families of, like, you, oh, do you have a boyfriend? I.e., like, you should have a boyfriend. That is, like, the only obvious option for you to, uh, like, romantically. Um, and just, like, again, a quote-unquote natural, um, it, this kind of naturalizing heteronormativity in 24, um, we get this uh, sequence where the girls are like split up, um, and for each of them, there is the introduction of these like hetero romantic interests um, that are separate from, again, like spatially separate and emotionally separate um, from their relationships with each other. Um, and the sequence like literalizes this by ha- you know having them. Uh, split apart in this big castle, um, all, you know, doing their own thing. Um, so we get Hikaru's nightmare, um, with, uh, Nova, I believe, um, Umi's having this late night private conversation with Clef, which like, yeah, I hate this ship too, but like, it's (laughs) definitely, it's definitely there. There's definitely, Mm -hmm. especially when you think about it, like in as part of this sequence with, with these other two, um, it's definitely I just think there. Umi has never been attracted to a man in her life, and so I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we're all in agreement here, but I'm just saying this is what, like, the show is doing. It's setting this up as, like... The other, a, you keep joking about Ascot, but I still maintain Umi has never been attracted to a man in her life. <laughs> well, we're going to have to reckon with, with no, what the show gives us at some point. Uh, yeah, we are we are going to reckon with what the show gives us, which is that Umi continues to just be like, I can really tell that this guy likes me, and I'm just gonna p- politely say nothing about it because I'm gay as shit. I've been there. I've had the guy who hits on you, and you just go, you know what? <laughs> you know what? I'm just I'm not gonna say anything. I'm gonna pretend you, that I do not notice. <laughs> did you Did you go to that guy's room late at night for an intimate conversation about your feelings? Sometimes, anyway. Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so th- this is happening. 
like Umi has a slate night private conversation with Clef, which is is hinting at some like heteroromantic thing, even if I've had real, I've it, had late night conversations about emotions with you, Connor. <laughs> that's fair. I'm okay, just, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Well Clef is just Umi's Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me Clef, okay? That's what I'm trying okay. to fucking love. Clef is just Umi's Joe. <laughs> okay, well, don't do that to Joe. That's not... Clef... We're not going to put Clef on anybody. That's not right. Um, it's, uh, I was trying to make a point here. Um, Sorry, I'm being a brat. No, no, it's okay. No, it's funny. There's, there's a sequence that's happening. <laughs> we have Fu paired off with Furio having a late-night romantic conversation. We have... Uh, Umi, directly before that, having a late night, again, what I think is hinted at um, to be this, like, romantic conversation with Clef. Um, cut back to Hikaru's nightmare with Nova, um, which may be related to this. Um, wink, wink. It definitely is. Um, and then Hikaru <laughs> seeing Lantis. Um, they're all having these experiences, like, separate from one another, again, spatially and emotionally, forming these new hetero- like pseudo romantic connections um, that are their own. And there is this like splitting happening here um, that I think is uh, important for what Nova represents and this theme of jealousy that I expect you will talk about at length um, later on. Eve. Um so this is an important uh, moment to bring out, like not only for the, the jealousy thing, but also for um, the it, the increasing presence of like heterosexuality, um, not only in this world, but also in the lives of these characters. Um, and what seems to me to be uh, an imposition that um, is grounded in the initial first few episodes as like, a social thing, um, but now actually is becoming realized uh, in the show itself, um, where the show is almost enacting this uh, this imposition by creating these sequences and these pairings, um, or, or setting them up. Um, and who knows? That, again, that might be important. Um, later on, uh, we have... Um, Episode 20, 27, uh, which I think further develops this like splitting situation um, where I think it's funny that you mentioned earlier, like this is just them like being in a relationship um, because it definitely is uh, where Umi and Fu are like, hey, there's clearly something wrong with you, Hikuru. What's going on? Um, especially Umi. And that's all well and good, and it seems like there's gonna be this moment of intimacy where Hikaru is like, "Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, let me share this with you and do what Fu's sister told us to do and be in a relationship." Um, but then, like, she doesn't, and it's like for further reinforcing this this distance. Um, and then, of course, we get an immediate cut <laughs> to Nova. Um, these cuts to Nova, uh, if you pay attention to, th- to them, are uh, seem really significant in terms of h- how they follow a lot of these episodes. Um, I think maybe reflecting uh, 
this splitting and this anxiety uh, in Hikaru. And then um, uh, the last thing I'm going to uh, rant about um, is I believe in, um, is it episode 29 where... Uh, we haven't even gotten there yet, Connor. <laughs> no, sorry, 26. 26. You're right, we haven't gotten there. Um, in episode 26, at the end of the episode, uh, we have another instance of this where Hikuru is like, uh, actually, one of the girls is like, no, yeah, it's Hikuru. Let's make a promise. No matter what happens, we won't drift apart. Uh, the three of us will stay together till the end. Um, kind of like, I, I think, reflecting this um, a little bit desperate anxiety of like, no, 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 promise me, like, you'll always be with me. Um, no matter what, we won't drift apart. Um, and then you guessed it, immediate cut to Nova, um, <laughs> where Nova is mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll grant that wish and I'll kill you all. Um, and, you know, staying together forever, um, reminiscent of Emerald and Zagato. Yeah, um, the, them is, dying and then the image of them, like, the illustration of them together. Yeah. Yep. So this like the- possessiveness born of Hikaru's anxiety about the splitting, or maybe just this ambient anxiety about the imposition of like heterosexuality and it's pulling them apart. Um, then manifesting in this weird relation to Nova, um, which is like uh, representative of some sort of like violence uh, as well, tied to this possessiveness. Like, promise me you'll always be with me. Um, like, well, I'll never let you leave. And uh, this kind of emergent violence underneath this, like, um, possessiveness. Um, that is, like, a, a through line uh, throughout all of these episodes. I think really important. Yeah, the... um, And I have... Thoughts about Umi and Fu here that kind of tie in with episode 29, and so I guess I'll just, like, set it up, and then we'll... Maybe we can move on to episodes 29 and 30. Um, But the thing that's happening in episode 24 that I think is really significant is that um, Umi and Fu are troubled by the things that they went through in season one and seek out other people. They seek out, you know, each other. They seek out Hikaru. They seek out, you know, Clef and Ferio. Um, and Hikaru is maybe even more troubled by the things that happen because of just, like, she seems to be handling everything, like, worse than the other two. Um, and I feel like it's a kind of a feedback thing because she's handling everything worse and the way that she tries to handle stuff is not... I want to go talk to Clef. I want to go talk to Ferio. The way that she handles things is, I want to go find somebody to help somewhere in the castle. Like, I want to throw myself into, um, you know, doing something for other people and, you know, trying to forget about these, like, nightmares I'm having of this, like, you know, beautiful, sexy lady who wants to kill me. <laughs> yes, and Landis. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like so we have to put up, Lantis in there. Yes, because she, she ends up. Lantis. She ends up seeking out Lantis, but it's not as a I want to be comforted by him, and it, 
the way that she starts talking to Lantis is by coincidence and mistake, you know? Yeah, I think it is significant that the the thing that, like, Hikaru sees in Lantis and why the conversation starts is specifically Lantis helping out the girl that she helped save. Um, And, like, helping comfort that girl and then coming up and being like, oh... I will also help you. Like, like she, I think you're correct that she's throwing herself into how do I like fix this problem? How do I help the people of Sephiro? And then seeing in Lantis, someone who like seems to want to help um, and being like drawn to that in some way. And I, I will just add, and also her guilt about killing Zugato. Um, Because that is like, I think the first thing that she says one of the first things she says to, like, Lantis, the first thing she wants to say after the small talk is, like, I'm sorry I killed your brother. Um, so he also contains, like, this... He's also this object of guilt for her. Um, and, like, a pathway to engage with that guilt. Um, like, healthily or unhealthily. Um, I don't know, asking someone to hate you. <laughs> we can debate. Uh, we can debate that. I would. I would categorize that as unhealthy. I would yeah. categorize the like the way that he could um like feels about guilt is uh unhealthy, <laughs> and the way yeah. that she thinks that um she should be the sort of like scapegoat for all guilt that exists in the world, and she should be punished for it. Um, oh, I've been they're... I've been in eighteen months of therapy for that. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a there's a clear distinction for me between like I'm in this loving relationship with this person where uh, pain is going to be part of like the way that we have fun with each other versus um, I just met you, I did kill your brother, please hit me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Very different from I just met you, please step on me. <laughs> that also, like one one. Mm-hmm. When lesbians do it, it's still a little bit creepy sometimes, and there is actually a racialized element to the way that like lesbians do this um, in lesbian culture. But also, straight guys on the internet, please stop telling women to step on you. Um, it is actually not as endearing as you think. Uh, just because <laughs> you are asking to be dominated does not like uh, make defang you fang your your like yeah Sexual your like. Aggression. Your, yeah, your sexual aggression against these women, you are just, like, sublimating it into submissiveness. Anyway. Weird <laughs> tangent into talk on the podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna have to bleep that name. I don't want that name on my fucking podcast. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know the joke, but, uh... Well, it's because you're not yeah, online. Fuck that, that is guy. That is a per- that is a particular man who is very bad about this, but this is like a very popular trend against like amongst like men that, you know, listeners of this podcast probably enjoy their content, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've seen this with like resident evil and stuff. Um, God. And oh God. Recently. That's, that's where I've, I've, so I kind of know what you're only talking about. Lantis uh, and Alcione, who continues to mistake him for Zagato, talk about Debonair before Lantis jumps back and knocks her out with an attack. Meanwhile, Umi and Fu set out in the Rune Gods to rescue Hikaru. Hikaru dreams again of Nova, who says we'll meet soon. And thank God it's finally going to happen because Neve keeps saying she's Nova and I'm just waiting for this stupid brat to finally show up. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, Hikaru. Uh, All right, and 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 the podcast. <laughs> Very, that's, that's it. That's we got it. Anyway, <laughs> Hikaru wakes up wearing the hottest fit in Anosam and is brought to Z- by Zazu to meet with Eagle and Geo. Eagle speaks honestly with Hikaru about why she wants the why he wants the pillar system in order to save his fully automated communist utopia of Autozom, which is they powered by United mental States. energy. <laughs> Lantis Kool-Aid man's through the wall. <laughs> Shit. Things are about to really pop off when Hikaru is transported away to confront Nova, who says, I'm Nova, the one who will kill you. I had a lot of fun writing jokes for you on that one. <laughs> Uh, final episode we're discussing, episode 30. Nova is just very thirsty about how she wants to kill Hikaru and her girlfriends and attacks, eventually summoning her own rune god, Regalia. Um, Umi and Fu arrive to help, so Nova shifts everyone to some sort of shadow realm. Um, what's the Yu-Gi-Oh name for this? The Shadow Realm. You got it. Is it Shadow Realm? Yeah, you got it in okay. one. Um, I was doing Shadow Realm because it's like kind of a persona thing as well. Oh, okay. Anyway. I thought you so, have you ever... Have, have you ever watched um, an anime and then there's like a parallel world? <laughs> I you were going to where... say, have you ever had your shit sucked from the back? <laughs> Question, you ever had your shit sucked from the back? You had that? Um... I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> I got a question. Ever had your shit sucked from the back hat that you were hat hat? Look. Look, I just really like that rap line. Anyway, Debonair also reveals herself, saying that the people of Sephira wished for her um, and that she will make everyone lose their hearts. As the battle continues, Ray Earth manages to cut through Regalia's blade, but in return, Regalia grabs Ray Earth's sword and snaps it with um, its hand. I, I plagiarized this from another thing, so I don't know why they're saying his hand for Regalia. Anyway... Um, I mean, did you see how... that car? Seeing how weak the knights are now, Nova leaves, requesting Hikaru to become stronger uh, before they fight again. Um, and then having lost the sword, which is the key to summon Ray Earth, uh, Ray Earth fades away. So, like, Hikaru, like, both Ray Earth's sword, but also Hikaru's sword is snapped because um, mech logic. So, episodes 29 and 30 of uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth, you did not include maybe the most important part. I mean, you did. Um, but you really glossed over it here, which is just funny. Um, so Umi and Fu set out to go find Hikaru and have a conversation about, like, it seems like Hikaru is really just trying to ch- take on the ga- take on the guilt of the entire world on her back at all times, and it seems to be really messing her up, and I wish we yeah. could do anything about it. And then just start hitting on each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, in like maybe the most one. It's fun because it's like I haven't seen Fu and Umi interact much, and Fu immediately starts hitting on her. Despite you know we're we've all been joking about how she's the straight friend. Um. Yeah, my read on them all dating definitely comes up more with season two because I think there is a, a read with season one where it's very like, oh, Hikaru and Umi are dating and then like Fu's on the side. Yeah. But like, yeah, like, and also just like these two understand that Hikaru is going through a lot and are able to have a conversation about it. But like, if they try when they when they have tried to talk to Hikaru 
about, like, you are taking on all this guilt and throwing yourself into, like, work and helping others and not taking any time for yourself. Um, it's just good. It's just good when people say, here's the themes of the show and we, yeah. us two are able to have a conversation about it. Hikaru is not ready at all to have the conversation that we we're trying yeah. to have with her. Yeah, she seems to be committing herself to some degree to some kind of role where she is like perhaps this figure that bears the burdens uh-huh. of an entire uh-huh. world. Uh-huh. Like if uh-huh. if uh-huh. Sephiro was being held up, like perhaps she would be some sort of pillar the, okay, who this would is the thing. hold Sephiro up. I could she, not. She's she's taking on this position. This is <laughs> what I thought. This is what I thought these episodes were setting up, but then like we got kind of sidetracked into Nova stuff, and one kind of made me forget that I thought that's where this was going, and two, I'm like, is it not going here? Because now we're just doing something else. But for a minute, we were really setting up that. Hikaru is going to try to be the pillar. I don't know yeah. if she will succeed at being the pillar. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind it's, of a spoiler, so that's probably why we're yeah. avoiding it. I mean, um, it's 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 weird because it's like they're also kind of setting up that like maybe Debonair or Nova mm-hmm. is going to in some way be the pillar. Mm-hmm. Um, so no clue how Nova being the pillar could relate to. Hikuru being the pillar. <laughs> anyway, um... Well, I will add, uh... I don't know if this is just gonna completely set us off in another direction, but... Um... There is an important dialogue between Hikuru and Nova. I can't remember what episode it's in. Um, but... Um, one of the many times... Some, you, yeah. you already know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> one of the many times that he, uh, that Nova says, like, I was born for you. Um, she says, like, I was born for you because you are Sephiro's, like, blank blank, and it's silent, yeah. but you see her, like, yes. moving. Um, so there we have a very firm connection between, like, the creation of Nova and, like, what she represents. And Hikaru, like, I presume that this is the end of that sentence was like, because you are Sephira's pillar. Um, so he could potentially being in this role um, and like the birth of Nova um, and Nova's existence, like are directly linked there. Um, I have, that like I have complicates a, that whole dynamic. I have a quick thought and I have a thought that's like more discussion stuff. One, I saw the bit where like, Nova is saying something and it's silent and I was like, man, Otto didn't invent anything. <laughs> yeah. No, I know that that was episode 30 because when that happened, I wrote the note here that's in here of Ava fucking stole everything from Rayard. <laughs> the the more of like the discussion piece, I guess, also is that um the other thing that's interesting about like foreshadowing stuff where I don't know where this is going was that um, at the end of season one we get kind of like you have fulfilled the legend of the magic knights the legend of the magic knights is that three girls from another world will show up and kill the pillar and then in this season 
you get Lantis saying, I will shatter the Legend of the Magic Knights. So clearly whatever cycle this world goes through does not just end at, um, like, killing Princess Emerald in the way that Cliff, or Cliff, Clef is like, <laughs> Clef is like pretty no, explicitly, right. Clef is like pretty explicitly said, yeah, I don't know what we could possibly do with Magic Knights after the pillar is dead. There's just, I, there's, I have no idea why you could possibly be here. Um, and Lantis is like, Lantis is telling the viewers, like, the Legend of the Magic Knights does not just end at that moment, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm interested to see uh, how Hikaru does being the pillar. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, just keep that in mind. Maybe wait <laughs> after a while. So, Neve, uh, I know you probably have some thoughts on Nova. Uh, I don't want to. I, I also have some thoughts, but I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, I mean, so, I want girls to do this to me. So I, I really, I like, I, I've joked about this plenty of times. I really identify with both Hikaru and Nova. Um, and for ways it'll become clearer as it continues to develop, but there's definitely, like, I I think a thing that is already happening here that we will, that will, we're going to, like, you know, I'm projecting the future is going to, like, continue to happen, is that, like, Nova's come in here and I think, like, really taken on this whole thing with, like, jealousy and possessiveness um, that has been, like, circling around in various ways. But I think, like, Nova, especially in episode 30, is, like, most clearly becoming this figure who is, like, um, you know, says, like, Hikaru is mine, she can't be friendly with other girls, which is, like, clearly pointing to this jealousy, um, is also being, like, I am Hikaru, I'm the same as you, um, professing this, like, love, which is, like, this, um... Violence. You know, it's so cute how you scream, let me hear your cute voice, Hikaru, stuff like that. That's, like, mm-hmm. this, like, we, we talked about how, like, Zagato's love of Emerald like, took this possessiveness as well. And this is, like, Nova's, like, turned up mm-hmm. um, in this, like, extreme way that it that is interesting to me, especially because of how, like, clearly the show is gesturing at, like, very gay stuff as well. Yes. Um, where like during the battle episode 30, Nova says just like over and over again, like I love you. And so like, I hate everything that you love, mm-hmm. um, which I think is also interesting because saying I love you. And so I hate everything that you love. Um, as we find out more about Nova, will like further reflect I think something that she's also representing. Um, but I don't want to like fully give away the hand yet. Cause I still don't know if you know who Nova is. I have a good idea. Okay. I, I, my money is on Hikaru's heartless. <laughs> okay. Listeners can't hear when you make gestures at me with your hand. Well, I don't. Is it just like a, yeah. like a thumbs just up? Just a shrug. So this is the thing. Like, I was I was talking to Joe, who's like seen Ray Earth, of like, okay, like Connor's seen this, and I know that Autumn is like watching through this, and I keep joking that I'm like 
Hikaru and Nova. Is is Autumn going to get it now? Because like either you get it with like episode thirty at the very least, or mm. you're not going to get it until the show like spells it completely out. I but mean, there is this like connection of like Nova and Hik- when Nova says I am Hikaru, that's not just symbolic yes. to some degree. <laughs> yes. No, I more or less understood this from the first time that Nova shows up in a dream. Like, oh, I think this is like Hikaru's like heartless or yeah. something like along those lines. Um, I the only reason I'm like dancing around it is because I'm like, I'm kind of curious exactly what the connection is gonna be. Like, where does Nova like I'm sort of curious about like the exact mechanisms of it, but I have like she is like some sort of like, you know, shadow of um of Hikaru in a yeah. really interesting way and like And I think like sorry if you as the viewer are like you know listening to this podcast and being like <gasps> I didn't know that but like it's I it's figured heavily throughout these episodes so like it, I could see someone missing it but also at the same time I don't feel too bad saying like there's this clear connection that like we're talking about parallels and there are very heavy parallels being done between Nova and Hikaru even in terms of like their design the other thing that I think that did throw me off as a viewer is that I think some of the stuff with Nova is kind of paralleling like cyber new types in um, Gundam, where I did think I was like, it might be that Nova is uh, like a literal, like, sh- yeah, yeah. Um, it, it might be that Nova is like a literal shadow in the same way that like, you know, um, there are some characters in Gundam who are, like, very, like, literal physical connections to other characters, and there are sometimes, like, I was like, oh, maybe Nova is just a person, and Debonair has sort of, like, you know, brainwashed her into believing these sorts of things about her connection to Hikaru, and what that means that she has to, like, has convinced this just random person, you have to kill Hikaru and her friends. You know, that was a little up in the air to me because more because of what I bring to it as a viewer than um, I, I think from the very first or second nightmare, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure like these are the same people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think we can get into like more mechanics of this and how it influences my read further as like we go through these episodes. But um, I, I think the other part that then comes out here is if, you know, we're, we're kind of, again, like these are stuff that I think you can figure out at this point, the show is going to like give you more complete answers eventually. But like, I expect a lot of listeners of the podcast who are might be watching along are also making these connections and I don't feel too bad talking about like, oh, it is setting up as like Hikaru going to be the pillar. Um, it's like setting up um, like this connection between Nova and Hikaru and like this like shadow figure of her to some degree. Um, I think it is also setting up a certain parallel of like a debonair as the shadowy figure that is a little bit less clearly figured, but could be of, like, Alcione, or could be of, like, Emerald, or something like that. Like, there's also something else going on there, where it's like, oh, she also has this, like, shadowy design and figure that's, like, figuring into all of this. Um, I'm just saying figure a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, just, and, just keep and, it going. like, I... 
I think some of it is coming together too in this way that like I I guess I want to signpost because we're at this point of like going with going two episodes further beyond this um, that a lot of what Nova is talking about is also tying into what we know about the Pillar of Sephiro mm-hmm. where Nova is saying like if if Nova is Higuru or is like the parallel of Higuru to some degree is saying you need to love only me you can't love these other people in the way that we know that like Emerald could not mm. love Emerald had to just love okay. Sephiro. Okay. And so like Nova is also saying like, okay, you have to love me. I'm going to, I'm going to kill everyone else so that you can love them in this like uncomplicated way. Yes. Um, which and is then you... also setting up like the expectation that Hikaru has of like, if I'm going to be the pillar, this is what it means. Yes. And then you literally have, Lantis fulfilling the exact same role that Zagato was as like, I care about the pillar who is going to end up being Hikaru in some way. Um, like, and thus I must shatter the legend of the magic knights. Like he literally says the same line that Zagato says. Yeah. Um, um and so there, there, okay. There is this like repeating that's happening, but I also think it's interesting because it's being complicated because I'm glad yeah. that you brought up Lantis. Cause the other thing that happens here is there's like, we see here, especially this like previous relationship that be- exists between Lantis and Eagle. And we talked about like in the previous set of, you know, episodes. And it also comes up here of Alcione confusing Lantis for Zagato, specifically when she hears him speak. And I want to say to like, if you don't know this as a listener, the voice actor for both Zagato and Lantis are the same. Mm-hmm. The voice actor for Emerald and Eagle Vision are the same. Oh. And so the pairing of Zagato yeah. and Emerald being in this relationship where one of them becomes the, the pillar, the other one is like um trying to overturn the pillar system and like one of them wants to be the pillar is then also getting mirrored with Lantis and Eagle where like we are getting a shade of that relationship but now made queer but then it's also being complicated because we have like this polycule happening between Hikaru and Lantis and then Lantis and Eagle. Yeah. And then Hikaru and the two girls that she loves. So this is like, we're getting this complex. (laughs) Lantis and Eagle have a conversation and it, it feels like it feels explicit to me that they used to be involved. Yeah. And are not. Like, it feels explicit that they are ex-boyfriends. There's an overwhelming, like, (laughs) battles without feel of like oh yeah we're really just like <laughs> attracted to each other and we have a sexual tension and we just sublimate it into like fighting um but in rare earth it's like even more <laughs> it's like even more explicit where they have these like pregnant looks and i mean if you look at my last note here uh i think there's like at, at towards the end of episode thirty. There's a conversation that really um, brings this out, where I think it's after Lantis Kool Aid Man's, where he like leaves <laughs> the ship, yeah. and they're having like this very tense, steamy conversation about like, no Lantis, like I told you, you can't become the pillar, you can't sacrifice yourself, um, and then like leaves. And Eagle is like breaks down and is like, oh, I can't do it. Lantis looks at me like that. 
Um, yeah. yeah. And then also, I think this is also when Lantis then goes to his, like, clearly husband, Geo Metro, when, and their adopted Eagle. sons. Or Eagle. Or, yeah, yeah, Eagle. Eagle goes to Geo Metro, his clear gay husband. Uh, they have the adopted son, Zazu. And, like, they, like, literally embrace. It's just, like, I had a really tough conversation with my ex. Please hold me, honey. <laughs> two, two things. One, um, we also didn't, because it wasn't, it's not a huge deal. Uh, when Eagle Vision and the Autozom crew is are introduced, um, Geo is, like, well, I don't know about all this pillar stuff, but I told myself I would just like follow you wherever you went and mm-hmm. like would, you know, you know, be a, like a good helpful whatever to you, uh which they're just husbands. Yeah. <laughs> Two. You can cut this if you want. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Connor... hold on. Let, me, let me let me take a sip of beer first. When Connor said they're giving each other these pregnant looks, I thought to myself, is that because Lantis is breeding Eagle? Uh, Anyway, I will just say, Connor, please go back and watch the first Battles of That movie. Um, Again, the movie starts with two men drinking each other's blood, and then throughout the rest of it, they give each other pregnant looks through barriers that society puts between them, such as the, like, glass at the visitation at the prison. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's, I think it's there in Battles Without. I think it's there in this show. And it, yeah, it's there in this show. The moment where, um, like, Eagle kind of falls against Geometro's chest... Mm -hmm is, like, the same shot that I tweeted of, like, here's the screenshot that Autumn took of Umi and the girl that she has a crush on in fencing in, like, Tokyo. The, like, mm-hmm. flashback we get. It's, like, the yeah. same shot of, like, falling against the... <laughs> yeah. So It's just gay. It's just gay. There, there are a few things I want to add to, like, all of that, which... Yeah, I mean, I think everything that has just been said is extremely important. Um, I think it's complicated. A- a- I, including the breeding comment. <laughs> yeah, which is now a lot harder to cut if Neve wanted to decide that she wanted to cut it. Um, <laughs> um, so, but I, I want to complicate it even further because uh, I think it is like even more complicated uh, in certain ways. Like, So first of all, these relationships are not just present and well not just hinted at in present like they, i think they obviously are um but they are under straight and free um and going along with like the splitting uh between the girls that um these episodes is trying to um introduce uh, i i think we see like tension and fraying um, in, in all of these relationships, um, Lantis and Eagle, um, there's a betrayal that's alluded to. Um, there is like clear tension uh, between them every time they encounter each other. Um, they're obviously like not together now. Um, and whether we'll, we'll track how that evolves <laughs> um, as, as the season goes on. Um, 
But again, this is not just a story of like these people having these relationships um, and navigating them, but it's also the story of these relationships like being pulled apart um, by tensions that are imposed from without. Um, I mean, also in, because of like in, interpersonal conflict and the characters themselves, um, but because of the imposition of the world. Um, pulling these people apart. Um, the other thing that I will say about the Nova situation is that, so it's not just, um, to use the comparison of like Emerald and Zagato, Emerald and Zagato's relationship, Zagato wants to ultimately protect Emerald from being killed. And in the course of trying to realize that goal, um, in acts, I think we, we have reached a decent consensus on this. Um, in acts, like some abusive, uh, mm-hmm. behaviors, yeah. definitely. Um, but again, his goal, like ultimately being to protect her, um, from being killed. I agree that this is in Nova and Hikuru, this is like way ratcheted up. Um, but what happens with Nova and Hikuru is that the love and the like there is a complete conflation between i love you and i want to kill you um yeah like it's not just like i want to kill everyone that you love so that i can have you and that like you only love me no it's also like our love means i kill you uh so this like destructive element where the, the love itself is literally conflated with the sadism, the abuse, and the killing. Um, that I think is important to... That, that's part of the mix of what's going on with Niva that like, I think we have to account for. Um, yeah. And I think another thing that kind of, help, at least for me, helps me read Nova is... Nova's, um, I, I noticed it, like, uh, watching again this time, um, the way that Nova, her animation and her dialogue is delivered, um, mm-hmm. there is an almost, um, what's the word? There's an almost dualistic, like, quality yes. to it. Yes, yes. Where yeah. she has, like, a line will be delivered in a certain, like, tone, and with a certain character, and then immediately the next line will be like this uh, completely violent sadism, and she seems to vacillate between this kind of like playful childish tone, which is like where she delivers these lines like "Oh, play with me, Hikaru, let's play together," and then she will like flip to this like violence where she's like, "Yes, yeah, oh, and like playing it means like I'm gonna rip your body apart and kill you." Um, well, and I think this will happen more as we see more of Nova, but there's even in episode 30, a moment too where she like slips into like incredible sadness. Um, I forget exactly what she's saying during the line, but like where she's like on the verge of crying. And then I think immediately after does her thing where her eyes get wide. She like gets like cat eye pupils for a split second and then like yeah. narrows her eyes and it like goes into full sadism mode. Um, yeah. And for me, this is like, oh, go, go ahead. 
this is why I was thinking about cyber new types and why I was thinking about, um, like, is Debonair brainwashing her in some way? Because it, it felt like she had certain things that she wanted, but she, she couldn't hold on to, she couldn't hold the thought in her head of like, I love Hikaru and want to like, be with her she couldn't keep that thought in her head and it was getting overridden by like some sort of other impulse that felt like from it it feels visually like they're saying this is not fully like her this is what somebody else wants and has convinced her that she wants in some way i don't know if it's that's totally what it's gonna end up being but that's that's how I was reading it right now, and I'm interested to see how it continues to develop. So, for me, it is... My reading of Nova, and I, I don't think this is spoiling anything beyond what we've already <laughs> spoiled, which is everything about Nova. Um, or not everything, but the gist of it. Um, I think there is... This represents a kind of like exaggeration of these extremes in Hikaru's personality where Hikaru, going back to like beginning of season one, has mm-hmm. this childish and naivete about her um, that we discussed at length. And then on the other hand, this like all, what we've discussed t- uh, tonight, um, this like emergent possessiveness, and then the violence that is like undergirding that or like welling up underneath it. And then also grounded, anchored in, you know, stuff that is pre-existent, Hikaru's character, where she is, like, the most violent, um, the most willing to fight, like, to just jump headlong into combat. uh, And, like, I think this also goes along with the, um, her recklessness, her self-sacrifice, her her willingness to, like, hurt herself and be hurt. Um, There are all these... There's all this stuff around violence in Hikaru's character that, like, it's not really, it's not all tied together in season one, but here it is, like, starting to uh, emerge in this, um, in in relation to um, these other things. And so you have Nova, who's, like, an exaggeration of uh, these extremes in Hikaru's personality, um, and literalizing this like uh these extremes by being like you know almost uh illogically childish um vacillating between this kind of illogical childishness and then this like extreme sadism um and uh i will i also want to add like debonair is uh i can't remember what episode is but uh Debonair 2 is representative of this, like, extreme possessiveness. I think uh, the scene where she's, like, ghostly floating in the water room with the pillar's crown, and she's delivering this monologue, um, and she says, like, Sephiro and all living things in it will be mine. Um, And then, interestingly, like, we know from her other comments that she wants to eradicate all life in Sephiro. Um, mm-hmm. So again, in Debonair, there is this 
link as well between like possessing something, this extreme possessiveness of like all living things in Sphere will be mine, and then also violence and like death. Right. Um, where like possessing them means also um, killing them. Uh, and this is uh, an important link to Nova, um, but also like ties back into this um, negational inverse stuff that I was talking about earlier, where, um, you know, in a sense, Emerod, like having complete power over all living things in Sephiro, um framing it as like, oh, I'm responsible for all of these people and I love them all. Um, and so I need to like pray for them and make sure they're all safe, but also I have complete control over them, um, is the the other side of the coin of like, I have complete control over all of these things. And, uh, like, so I'm going to like destroy them. Um, so again, all of this stuff about like possessiveness and violence and destruction is all like tying together in debonair. Um, and we even see it emerging in like the Alcyon possessed debonair where she's fighting uh, Lantis and she thinks he's Zagato and she's like, I'll never let you get away with Zagato. Like I'll kill you before you leave. Um, Cause you, you can't be with anybody else but me. Um, so it's like emerging in debonair's monologues, uh, Alcyon possessed by debonair. Um, and then also like Nova, uh, as kind of this common thread. Yeah. I, so th- there's a couple of things I want to say, which one is like, I don't want to put words in the, either of your mouths, but like, I, I think there's like, cause I think you were saying autumn kind of that, like, it seems like debonair is having some sort of influence on Nova. That's like further mm-hmm. pushing this. Um, and then Connor, you're saying like, well, this also is like reflective of, what we've seen of Hikaru, it's just like more extreme. And I, for me, I think both of those things are happening. And it's specifically again, tying around the way that like Debonair is representing something about the pillar system in Sephiro. And Hikaru is being set up as like the next potential pillar. And is like going through this crisis of what does it mean to be a pillar? And so I think you can then still read like, Yes, Nova is the side of Hikaru or this like shadow of Hikaru or whatever is going on exactly with her character mm-hmm. that is being influenced by Debonair, who is representing in some ways the like the the tragedy and the like dark side of the pillar system. Um, and so I think like both of those are true. Like what both of you said mm-hmm. is is what's really happening if this like fuses together into yeah. what I think is really happening with these characters. Um, the other part that I want to put out here, because you you Connor often talk about like um, Alcione being possessed by um, by Debonair, and like I think some of this is also complex in that there is like a scene that seems to suggest like a greater level of possession, and yet. I don't want, Sometimes like, if not. someone isn't watching or, or, yeah, I don't want, like, someone watching along to be like, oh, like, Alcyone is just, like, always in the zombie state possessed by Debonair or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because often she is, like, this distinct person. Um, and so I think there's also a relationship that's happening between, like, Alcyone and Debonair that, that can actually parallel, like, what is happening between Nova and um, Hikaru. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also gets developed more as we go on. But um, I don't know if people have final thoughts or we might wrap this up. I think I've said everything I have. Um, Show's good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, autumn so far. I mean, do you feel like it's it's living up to the hype? The incredible hype. It's that, definitely better than season I one. Gave it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's worth something. Um, yeah, I think we'll see how you feel when it all wraps up because we got some uh, <laughs> interesting stuff. Um, coming up here in this final stretch of episodes uh, where all of yeah. these threads are uh, resolved in some ways that are well that I know we will uh, have a lot to say <laughs> about so yeah I think uh, for for now uh, I think I, we've covered a lot um, we've brought out a lot of what's going on and uh Anything that we missed, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll touch we'll touch on next time. Yeah, so we will be watching episodes 31 through ni- 39 of Magic Night Ray Earth. Uh, we had to do a streak of nine episodes somewhere, and I I decided this was the part that made the most sense, um, just because episode 40 I think I would rather talk about in the context of like the end of the series. Um, if there's something that you feel like we've missed and you just really want to jump on it now, um, even if we might get to it later, you can write into ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Put any questions in there. Um, we are a part of the Export Audio Network, so go to exportaud.io and throw money at it. Just like yeah. uh, as much money as you can possibly give to the network, give to the, the network. That's what um, we're doing. $1 all cancel all of your anyway. other subscriptions and only subscribe to this. <laughs> One dollar yeah, a know, month gets you um, like early access to a lot of our shows, like Ornate Stairwells and Gotham City Limits and Ars Arcanum. Five dollars a month gets you access to Godzilla's Not Dead. Um, some writing Nora's been doing. Um, maybe some other stuff. I haven't thought about it. Yeah. Um, Listen to so, our podcast, Ornate Stairwells. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good, good podcast. podcast. <laughs> the more that you contribute to the Patreon, the closer we get to. Uh, being able to finance our matching Chevy Novas. Um, we've, already, uh, we've already bought a couple cars with that Patreon money. And uh, we're really, we're, this is, that's next on our list. So um, please help us out with that. Um, I think we, jokes aside, I think because of the launch of Gotham City Limits, we have crossed the threshold where we are paying Nora's half of my, uh, of the rent for the apartment. So thank you, <laughs> everybody awesome, who yeah. likes Batman. Um, you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Fox Mom Nia. Where can people follow you, Connor? Uh, y'all can follow me at Rabelais, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S. You, um, should, you should follow Connor. He did a really funny tweet today. Yeah, it really fucking got me. <laughs> I won't tell you what the tweet it just was. You just me. have to. You just yeah. have to go read his Twitter. Um, it's fantastic. Um, where can people follow you, Autumn? Uh, you find me at a tumble underscore coffee, or you can find me reading Garfield every day at Garfred Alone. <laughs> I was just reading the notes, and I was like, "Oh, this will be funny if I say that I did Garfred Aloud." Who is it today? Uh, Who's that? It, it's Primera. It's Primera. It's McConaughey. I'm gonna say McConaughey. 
You two no. have... Okay. Wait. I chose Primera because it's fun, and also it's literally coin flip odds. It will most likely be Makoda. Yeah, so, it's, also, yeah. it's also rot. <laughs> um, you know, just so we all have something different. So, so Connor, you're saying Makona. I'm um, saying Primera. You're saying Primera. Um... I'm gonna go for the long shot here and say he could. Okay. Um, this is a long shot, but let's see. It's thinking. Damn it! It's Makona. What? Um, All right. Awesome. All right. Well, there you go, everyone. Um, I won it this time. I'm pretty much the best. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you like how I just totally crushed that. Um, Click that bell, uh, like, and subscribe for new uh, co- uh, content, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye.
Anyone have any jokey jokes for the end of the podcast? Or I'm Sleepy Cat. I don't got jokes. I'm Sleepy Cat. Um, let's go uh, in the podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I... Or... Uh, sure. Why not? I know. Yeah. I don't have any. I mean, if you have jokey jokes, jokes you can do do jokey jokes. But no, um... no, no. I'm okay, pretty I'm sure I stop. like had a point that I was going to say, and then I forgot it. But that's all good. Uh, I yeah, I started recording, but it was my decision. It wasn't because it wasn't a collective thing whatsoever. <laughs> okay, well, we're recording now too. I almost wish we'd recorded me complaining about this PBS cartoon. But... Yeah, I'm glad that, I was I'm like, glad should we you... start recording? <laughs> I'm glad that you I both did... took personal responsibility for your for your own recording status. I, I'm just vibing. I'm just here. I'm having a good time. Um, you all said that you didn't want to record, so I just started checking Twitter. <laughs> but are you telling me we're recording? We're doing a podcast now. We're doing a podcast now. Okay. But yeah, I did expend my entire rant about this like fucking PBS kids show. Um, so sorry about that. Yeah, it's rough. PBS is slipping. PBS normally is like Daniel Tiger's. I would expect though. them to. Daniel I Tiger. I PBS to put the moon part like at the beginning. <laughs> I, I'll I'll like say this here. The thing that's always weird to me about Daniel Tiger is that the mm. message is generally like the adults in your life are people you can trust and have your best interests at yes. heart, and like you just need to like ask for help mm-hmm. or like be willing to listen to them when they're like telling you to slow down or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like that will like, just trust the adults in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's weird for me watching that right now because I'm like, I hope that this is true for Q. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope that they trust us and it's a situation where they can, but I feel like it misses why like I, as a child did not trust the adults yes. in my life. And in some cases really shouldn't trust the adults in my life there's okay so the very first not to say that my parent my parents specifically were like horrible but they were definitely terrible adults in my life so the very first episode of daniel tiger that i watched is all about um you should trust your teachers um it was the one that's all about like everybody has an important job or something and it's all about you should trust your teachers um and then there's like a thing at the end where it's like showing like what you know not cartoon people like real people and it's like i'm jim the trash truck driver and I, yeah, my job is important. important and um and, and that's fine and you also get to i'm karen the police officer and my job's important and i just wanted to like grab your two-year-old who cannot understand any of the things like no police officer's jobs are not important yeah <laughs> don't you trust her um yeah there's definitely a vibe sometimes where i'm like i feel like it's easier with a book for me to do this but mm-hmm. there's sometimes where i'm watching a show and i'm just like okay <laughs> I mean, am i gonna like try to explain any of this or is it just like we'll explain this soon i mean like, not in, right now in my immediate thought in the first part of the episode because it was mostly about trusting teachers and i was like well okay like generally i think teaching is a like noble profession but how teaching exists in a capitalist society i have a lot of objections to um and does a lot of like real material harm to like people and ethnic minorities and queer people and all these sorts of things and you know 
I don't need to yeah. explain that to this child. But also, like... <laughs> They're two. Like, they'll, that, yeah, that, they'll that can yeah. come later, probably. Yeah. Like, it's good to I, just I'm start like, from a place of trusting your teachers. Because we watched it again, because this is how watching PBS with a toddler works, is you watch the same five episodes yes. 20 times. Uh, <laughs> I've seen every episode of Daniel Tiger. I have so many thoughts about the songs, <laughs> and which are the good ones, and which are the bad but, ones. So, like, one, like, pointed thing that comes up during it is they specifically refer to, like, public schools. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, part of this message is, like, public schooling is important. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a good message at a time when, like, private schooling is really, really trying to, like, take over right. public schools as a thing. Right. But also, yeah, like, and, schooling uh, in an America, public schooling in America, even if it had the funding, would not fix all of the problems of public right. schooling in America. Right. But all of that, I'm, like, watching it, and I'm thinking these things to myself, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. The two-year-old is, you know, two, and, like, yeah. they're just not ready for all these sorts of things that I think about capitalism. But then the cop shows up and is like, my job's important. And that was the moment where I was like, do I actually need to explain to this child? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, p- part of it, too, is that, like, we are intentional about, like, we we don't do Paw Patrol because it's, like, yeah, copaganda for kids. Yes. Um, And, like, we don't do Curious George because, like, literally the, the base premise of Curious George is a white man goes to Africa, takes a monkey and brings him back. And the monkey is so happy to be in America now. <laughs> And doing work for this white man. Um, it's a, like, I have people who've been like, it is painful for me to read to my child, mm-hmm. Curious George, yes. as like a quote unquote classic because of like what the story is. Yes. Um, so when I came over, you were like, oh, we don't watch Curious George. And I'm like, why? Because I had never thought about it. And you're like, oh, it's a bit racist. And as soon as you said, like, <laughs> you hadn't even finished, and I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yep. Yeah. Under- understood everything <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> um, so my favorite of the ones that we watch is Eleanor Wonders Why. Because, that was my favorite, too. Yeah, because it's usually just, like, explaining things about the natural world. Yes. It's just like, this is what the wind is and how, like, different things are affected by the wind. Like, yes. Um. You know, like how surface Magic school area, bus yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. This is um, why if I ever have a child, I'm just going to show them how it's made on the loop <laughs> yeah. all the time. I, you joke, when I was a kid, I thought how it's made was so cool. I didn't yeah. understand any of it. I just liked watching the conveyor belts go. They had a lot of really good B-roll on how it's made. Yeah, they did. <laughs> um, and then that way you my, can my go, final... it, it can go either way. It can be like, okay, yeah, this is like, just kind of like instantiating like it's like naturalizing capitalism um, yeah by like equating it with like natural forces and just like oh yeah this is how the world works or you can go like in the complete opposite direction and be like oh yeah like this is like all these machines are uh like manned by workers and you can just like go full ziga vertov yeah so you're just like setting yourself up for you know, I yeah, to, I'm just going to gonna start showing my child Soviet films. <laughs> I've never thought about this, but how it's made is really like um, all the shots of like machinery are like the exact same sorts of like filmic language as like um, like planet Earth or like a nature documentary. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they shoot they, they shoot the fucking Henry Ford machines the same way that like. David Attenborough narrates over, like, an iguana getting eaten. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But my other thought on on 
like PBS and stuff. I'm just going to read this tweet that I did on main so people can read it. But by the time this episode comes out, it'll be old. Yeah. Um, the problem with television for toddlers is they always feel the need to put a song in every single episode. And you just can't make songs to that frequency and have them all be bangers unless you're Jem. <laughs> <laughs> so like most of the songs on Daniel Tiger are not bangers. But yeah. most of them have the one line that is getting stuck in my head. Like yeah. I will be because they sing it like that one line they'll sing like twenty times at least in an episode. Because I'm gonna be mumbling to myself. Sometimes it's good to go slow <laughs> every fucking yeah, the, day. Yeah, for the next it's the anime year. Theme song effect. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. you just hear it so many times, and then you're like, "This was like a complete fucking." mess first time i heard it and now i'm like i get really pumped up when i hear it for some reason i feel like maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before have you seen the twitter video of like the two little babies um singing the gundam 79 theme song i have not (laughs) i have not it's too like like younger than q is like maybe like one years old one year old i don't know that they can walk um and they just hear Moe Agare and they lose their <laughs> minds and they're trying to sing along, but they don't know the words. And so they're just shouting. It's great. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. It looks like um, um, someone's doing a better job than me in terms of indoctrinating children with Gundam, <laughs> uh, Gundam material. The, Broke. The indoctrinating is, children as capitalist subjects. Woke. Indoctrinating I'm... children to Gundam fandom. <laughs> I'm waiting to watch That's revolutionary. Gundam for when we do it for the podcast, and I probably won't be watching it around because mm-hmm. my main anime time is lunch during work. Mm-hmm. But um, every time that I put the Gundam shirt that you got them, Connor, uh, I do, while putting it on, sing Moe Agare. Excellent. Getting your child to believe in a sign of Zeta. <laughs> Um, all right. Do we want to, oh, I need to put in a note just so we don't forget here. I have another fun thing planned. Oh no. You all know what the fun thing is. Wow. They're always so fun. I just can't wait. It's a new season. You know what the fun (laughs) thing is. Yeah. You, you saw me doing, I saw you doing the fun thing. Um, is this the fun thing that you texted about and said, this is my fun thing for this? Probably. Yeah. I think I may have actually texted the group chat about it. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah, you totally did. Wait, wait should we do a time dot is own, clap? Your own thing. Should we? We've yeah. been recording for 10 minutes. Should we do a time dot is clap? <laughs> okay, yeah, clap? probably. Yeah, do you want to do the clap? Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, wow. Really stepping on my toes here. No, no, no. You pick the time. I'm just going to do no, the clap no, for no, 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 we, no. We no, no. Both you, of us you... don't need to clap, clap because we are in the same <laughs> closet right now. I mean, just... He's going to make All a right. joke. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> oh, you were going to make a closet joke? Oh, that's... Uh, it is it's... very funny that the two gay people on the podcast are in a closet. <laughs> I didn't know if we were going to actually allude to that fact or not, like, during the recording of this podcast, but now that you've opened that door... uh, I'm cutting all of this. The door is closed. (laughs) I'm cutting all of this. Let's do a time that is clap. Okay, we're going to do 25. (laughs) 
Okay, so the clap has been completed successfully. Yes. Uh-huh. Do All you right. both feel good about your clap? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I'm uncertain, but that's okay. Um, everybody's recording. Everything's good. I'm not recording. <laughs> Now we have to do all of this over again. <laughs> I have to do my Daniel Tanger rant a second time yes. now that I'm recording. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start a podcast. Everyone shut the fuck up. <laughs> do we want to take a body break? Or? I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm fine. Update, I, I like the beer. I've been drinking more of the beer. So, what kind of beer is it? Oh, never mind. So, it's um, it's a Kolsch. Yeah, what she said. Sweet. Yeah, I'm still drinking the same. Uh, I just. Oh, I'm also drinking Kolsch. What the hell? I'm I'm just not much of a beer person. It all does kind of taste the same to me, but like I'm enjoying it more tonight than I usually do. I guess. Like this does not taste that different from like a bu- a Bud Light to me. Mm. It's a little oh, different. Do, do you but also it's... like? Cheap it's beer? like in in the family. Of- I don't like any beer. Okay, I like well, when, um when you partake in beer. What do you prefer? Uh, uh, usually, if if there is beer offered, I'm like, can I get an Angry Orchard? Can I'm I get a hard pee cider? If we're just gonna like digress <laughs> into it, anyways, I'm just gonna try and pee. <laughs> sure. Um. Yeah. Usually, if beer is on offer, I will get a a hard cider, a Mike's hard lemonade, something like that, like something that is similar to a beer, but not a beer. So okay. Um. But I am enjoying this Kolsch. Nora is a beer drinker, and so um, sometimes she'll have me sip something, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's all right," and then I'll do what I'm doing to Nia right now. Is like, "Well, give me like five more sips," you know. Uh, yeah. Um. Kind of like. One foot in, one foot out. Yeah. Not acknowledging to yourself that you're drinking it, but drinking it. I would never I would never go to the store and buy a beer, but if somebody hands me a beer, I'll take a sip of it, and if I like it, I'll keep drinking it. Um, I guess that's where I'm at. That makes sense. Yeah, that's like me with cocktails. Oh, see, I'll 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 do shots, I'll do cocktails, like I Nia made um a cocktail, uh, and she told me what was in it, but I didn't pay a ton of attention. But there's like lemon, um, and gin, and a sweet vermouth. I think it's very good. Nice. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah, she makes uh, tremendous cocktails. N- Nia makes very good cocktails. I make cocktails a lot at home, but it's just like a margarita, and if I get really fancy, I squeeze the limes. Um, or, like, a white Russian where I just, like, pour some rum in, pour some vodka in, or, like, pour some Kahlua in, pour some vodka in, pour some milk in. You know, I don't really pay that much attention. You, like, actually take care when you make drinks. I, like, use a jigger. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you, like, have, like, cherry wood that you set on fire and, like, blow the smoke in the glass. Every single time. Yeah. (laughs) take some shot glasses from work uh just the other day because we've got these like new shot glasses and so we were getting rid of a bunch of old shot glasses and so i just took some is this which i think will be the first shot glasses i've owned no that's not true that's not true 
I have. Why, why do they have four... shot glasses at at your work? Uh, for for espresso. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. So in a past life, I was the kind of person who would get invited to um, an event to play uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 before, like, it was out. Mm -hmm. It was like a demo event thing. And so I went to that, and they gave me four Capcom-themed shot glasses. Nice. As part of it. So, um, yeah, I got to to play MVC 3 and, and then... Got some shot glasses that I still have. I knew you used to be in the FGC and that you're very much not now, but I did not realize <laughs> you were in it to the point where you were going to MVC3 demos. Yeah. I remember when that game came out and um, I still really like MVC3 because it was the game that I, this sort of burgeoning person who is interested in fighting games, could get my friends to play because I would be like, oh, well... I can play this character and I'll do quarter circles and, you know, like fighting game shit, but you can put it on the other mode where you just mash buttons and stuff comes out and we're both having a good time, you know? Um, yeah. I did I was, that when I was in middle school. I was just double checking to make sure that I had the, the correct number. I did. Um, yeah. 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 I, uh, cause in my brain I was like, wait, so I know it was Street Fighter 4 when I was, like, doing FGC no, stuff. Yeah. Street, and so I was like, it was 3, though, right? So, yeah, I was Street just Fighter, Googling it. But. Street Fighter 4 was the game I was playing in middle school. Uh, MVC 3 was the game I was playing my first year of high school. Yeah. Um, it, I think it came out, like, on my birthday week or something. What, MVC 3? Yeah. Um, okay, very nearly. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, it was like the early days of stuff releasing around the same time. Yeah. Between like markets. I remember that. I remember when like, I remember when Demon Souls came out in Japan and I knew people who were importing it and it didn't come out in the US and it really didn't come out in Europe for like a long time. And I remember yeah. that being like a thing. Um, but yeah, my, my main games were actually... Mostly it was because they weren't played quite as much, although, like, the Midwest is very anime fighters territory in a way that, like, a lot of fighting game communities in other parts of the U.S. are not. Um, But so it was mostly, like, original BlazBlue. I always like to say it BlazBlue. I I say Um, BlazBlue as well. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, the Persona Fighter. Right. Um, I was, like, fairly decent at the Persona Fighter, especially just because, like, a lot of people didn't play it. So it was, like, a small group of people for me to to be mm-hmm. um whereas like <laughs> i i did street fighter and i just sucked at it um and then i would sometimes enter stuff for um like king of fighters but i just compl- like i love that's my favorite fighting game to watch yeah king of fighters because i know enough about it that i can like watch it and like really know the technical skills that are going into yeah. really high level play I feel like a lot of people might watch it and not quite get because it's not like flashy and showy like yeah. a lot of other yeah. fighters, but it's actually like it's really difficult even just to like do basic inputs yes. in that game. This is the thing that is um, really fun to watch about with King of Fighters is that yeah. you know even if you like I can't always understand like oh this is the footsies that's going on here or whatever. Yeah. Like it is always a really impressive game to just watch people play. Yeah. The thing is, sometimes I'll occasionally watch stuff now, mm. and it's just, like, I don't know the metagames anymore. Yeah. And so, having that has, like, 
lessen my enjoyment of some of it because specifically knowing like, oh, this is what this matchup is like. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, this attack is going to be especially good against like this person or whatever. Um, it's just stuff that I don't have anymore. Um, whereas like back in the day, I used to know like, oh, these are like matchups. And yeah. that information, like even this- the back then... It was amazing stuff is like sifted through my brain. I don't. It was amazing watching, um, like, kind of in the not the early days of the pandemic, but like once the pandemic had kind of like settled in, we're like, okay, we're in this for the long haul. Maybe like June of last year, maybe like July. I remember watching a online MVC three tournament, and it was amazing because it was the first time in like forever that i had watched a fighting game tournament and i was like oh i know these characters yeah i know why this guy chose doom you know it's because everybody (laughs) chooses doom but you know Um, like i know oh this person chose this like low tier character and they're getting really good results out of them like that's fun i just want to say it the the people who were in like the community with me who were then really like shitty to me when I came out as trans really should have known that I was going to do that because the running joke was my character type. Like the, whatever I would pick in any game, whoever I would main would be a girl who was like a beat down character. Like who would like rush in, like you get close, you mm-hmm. do a bunch of hits. Like I, mm-hmm. I want to get in and do combos. That's yes. how I play fighting games. Yes. Um, I don't want to be like someone who's like doing spacing and this stuff. This is why I play. I want uh... to get past the, the like, Hadokens and getting close and just like beat them down. So it was that, but it was always a woman who would have some attack where she hits you with her butt. Yes. <laughs> yes. You should play Laura so, in Street Fighter V. Who would you play as in Super Smash Brothers? Um So normally when I play Smash Brothers, I'm like wondering if this is true, but normally I would play as Zelda Sheik and I would just do Sheik. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I don't know if Sheik has a move where she hits you with her butt. Um I would play Bowser a lot in Smash, uh, especially in Melee, because Bowser is, like, fun as, like, a lower-tier character who still has some cool stuff he can do. And so um, a lot of people don't know, like, you can usually get a win over somebody as Bowser because they, like, you know, they they know how to fight Falco. You know, they fucking know that shit inside and out. You're going to surprise them a little bit with Bowser. Um... (laughs) And Bowser is also a gay icon. Yeah. That was the thread that I was picking uh, up there. But yeah, I never I never did um, like competitive Smash. It's mm-hmm. just not what that game is to me. I like that game with I, like lots of items and everything. Like I respect to some degree like Smash player, like competitive Smash play. But for me, it's just like if you have to like literally turn off like entire sections of this game to make it competitive, like yes, I would rather just play King of Fighters. So I... um. Smash is the one game that I played somewhat competitively ever, and it did kind of ruin my relationship with Smash for a couple years. Um, and I do still, if Nora and I are playing Smash, I would prefer to play with no items. I would prefer to like not play on certain stages. But um, the way that the sounds Smash like you should just play King of Fighters instead. <laughs> the way that the Smash community gets so fucking persnickety about like well, we cannot possibly play on this stage because, like, some of the platforms are at uneven heights or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Play the fucking video game. <laughs> Nintendo keeps trying to appeal to all of you, and you all hate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I was going to say the one other thing. So the big thing is like, if there's a mover, she hits you with her butt. Like I'm probably picking that character. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that sometimes comes up is the move that I would always refer to as Deadly Conolingus, which is, um, so like the big one is like Cassandra in Soul Calibur games does this, where they like jump on the character's face and then like wrap their thighs around the character's face and oh, then twist to like yes. break their neck. Armika. Yeah. 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 Um, um <laughs> Deadly Conolingus is my favorite, um, like 80s goth band. Um, Deadly Conolingus uh, often opened for my friend's punk band, Vaginal Death Blow, was, which was the actual name of that punk band. <laughs> um, Magic Knight Rare. Yeah. Yeah, I prefer the first Deadly Conolingus album. You kind of <laughs> sort out. The self titled? Yeah. Yeah. The first um, self titled, not the second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the blue cover Deadly Cunnilingus, not the red cover Deadly Cunnilingus. Yeah, yeah. After that, there was just like they started taking on way too much like Weezer influence. Yeah. Was, just I really go for that. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm gonna like bring this up. There's this Icelandic band called Liotu Halfitarnir, um, and they're bit for a while, it's and they Rivers finally Cormo's dropped it. Side band. <laughs> They had this bit for a while, and I'm kind of sad that they dropped it, which is that um, every single Super album they released was... The people from <laughs> every single album they released was self-titled, and basically had the exact same cover, except the, uh, like, the font for their name was, like, a slightly different color between them, so you have to refer to them as the color of the font. It's great. Um. It's a great bit. <laughs> I, there's another band I really like that did uh, a couple different self-titles albums. Uh, it's Led Zeppelin. I don't like that band. I just the first four Led Zeppelin albums are all self-titled. That's the only joke I've got there. I want to offer here. I did just launch into those summaries. Do we want to take a bathroom break or any sort of anything? Yeah, I do actually have to pee. Okay. Um, yeah. I just you look pretty it. upset with me when I just launched in, <laughs> but I I wanted to move on. That's all. Yeah, I had to pee. <laughs> um, I still have to pee, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go do that. Okay. Okay. Me, me too. I'll be back. Okay. I'm gonna just stand up and stretch my legs for a second. <laughs> yeah, this is the other reason why I take bathroom breaks. Just like I need to stand up. I can't just sit in this closet for three fucking hours. Hi, cat. Okay, I'm back. Guess I'm the only one. You want out now? Of course you do. Oh, I thought you were the cat coming back in. I hope she's having a great time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Me too. Is Connor back? Yeah, uh, Connor yeah. said, "Yeah, me too." Not knowing what we were talking about. Oh, I was still putting in my headphones. I thought you were making a joke about 
you and Neve still being in the bathroom. I thought Autumn was making a joke about about that. No. No. Okay. <laughs> um, they're making a joke about a mutual friend of ours. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, well, I hope. Yeah. The answer is, doesn't change. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully she's having a wonderful time. I, I always hope for that for my, my friends and my friends of friends. <laughs> <laughs>